Captain's Log, Stardate 69.69.nice. I'm Captain Britain. And I'm Vedic Pat. These are the voyages of the Starship Soyager, our ongoing mission to explore new Trek episodes, to seek out old Trek, both cringe and based, and to boldly go where God God is is a fraud fraud and more. Welcome to Soy Trek, <laughs> the show where this week two Trekkies ask themselves, since William Shatner thinks he's God, can we kill him? Yes. Today, we're going to talk about Star Trek V, The Final Frontier from 1989. But first, let's check out what's new in the Star Trek universe. Let's do it. We got Trek news for you. According to an article by Giant Frickin' Robot this week, Star Trek cut a fan-favorite Voyager character from Picard Season 3. Did you hear about this? I did not. Me you neither. About this? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about this in the news lately? Um, in the all-access uh, Star Trek podcast, Terry Metalis was recently interviewed and explained that Naomi Wildman mm, from, from yeah. Voyager uh, was both discussed and <clears throat> cut from the final season of the show, saying... There was a moment where there's a specific thing that's happening. What if they had to turn to a grown-up Naomi Wildman, and it was very, very intense three weeks in the room because it was a great story, Metallus explained. And had you had 13 episodes, you were going to do this one, and it was going to be great if you could produce it because it was rather expensive. And so that's hard. Which is a huge word salad to yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, I was trying to follow that. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of things that are like predicated on a lot of insider knowledge, I think, there. Mm-hmm. Which Metallus does. And he's, he's I think, uh, you know, pretty opaque, I think, mm-hmm. for a reason to uh, kind of generate some some buzz and whatever. Yeah. Um, although in 2019, the actress who played the character uh, said she was more or less done with acting. So... Mm-hmm. Who even knows if they could have done it in the first place? Yeah. Maybe it was just a pie-in-the-sky idea. Further in Trek news, it seems uh, to be everywhere in the Trek universe this week, but uh, Henry Alonzo Myers was accepting an HCA Legacy Award for Star Trek Strange New Worlds when he revealed some interesting origins in the pitch of the show, saying, In the first pitch document that we sent the network, we opened with a question asking, What if we just did Star Trek? Oh yeah, Have you I saw heard about it, yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. I think I think most people saw this. This yeah. was like on every Star Trek everything because, like, I don't know. Yeah, like why mess up a good thing? Yeah, and why didn't they ask that like sooner? Really, this yeah. is this is the fifth Star Trek show that they've done under this kind of like rebranding, mm-hmm. and like they just now are asking, "Hey, what if we make a Star Trek show <laughs> with the Star Trek brand? Wouldn't that be novel?" Like, mm-hmm. it's like. What? What? That should have been the second show. 
Yeah. Like I'm, I'm fine with them like flagshipping with something brand new, Mm -hmm. but like really realistically, the second, if not the second, the third, if not the third, the fourth, not the fucking fifth show. (laughs) I, well, I feel like they think there's some desire to just like make Star Trek for a new generation. And that's fine. It's just like, make it for all types of people. And that's what they're doing, I guess now, but it's like, Mm. It's it's just very strange to me that they went after so many markets before actually going after Star Trek fans. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's just like, you know, I can see how a lot of fans would see that's it feels like a slap to the face. Yeah. Um but you know, I do like what they're doing with Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um so we'll see I guess. Yeah, I mean, but we're still getting the season 3 of Picard, which we'll see how that is. I yeah. mean, at least they're not making it the fucking origins of Khan. Like, yeah. like the it looked like it was going to be at the end of season two. I mean, that could still be. It could up be in the air. Oh I god! Mean, if they bring back a soon character, I'm going to. <laughs> oh, Brett Brent Spiner is going to be in the third season. Oh yeah, I know. God no! So, and I don't think he's, no. he's, they, they pretty much wrapped up data. So no. yeah, he's going to be he's going to be a soon dude. Or if he plays lore, but I, he. It'd be awesome if they brought lore back. That would, Honestly, that would, that would be awesome. Be or, fuck. or before, but uh, but yeah, like they should just. It's definitely going to be a soon character because, like the, the you're de-aging. you're, you're assuming a lot there. Aren't you? I, I, yeah, <laughs> when you when you assume, assume. you make a soon out of me and you. Yeah, or what? you and me and uh, what, and Oog <laughs> and <the> Oog, <laughs> but but uh. Yeah, because like the de aging that they had for in season one of Picard oh, for, for, for data, Prince, for data, it did oh, not look good. No, it looked bad. <laughs> it looked very bad, and like it, it looked worse than the fucking de aging they did on Kirk. And was it two or three? Or the de aging in the Irishman? Did you see that? Oh yeah, not, <laughs> it was so bad. He's like he's, he's like they made it. They cleaned up his face, but he still shuffled around like an eighty year old man. It was kind of mm-hmm. it was embarrassing, but yeah, like it was not believable in Picard, and yeah. so but. You, uh, yeah. We're gonna get more songs. Too many, too many songs. Too many songs. Um, but uh, Henry Alonzo Meyer continues uh, in the award speech. He said, uh, "Every day in the writers' room, we try to imagine how would Gene Roddenberry and his team make the original series if they were doing it today. They would use state-of-the-art visual effects, of course. Uh, they would ask questions that deal with the politics of today. They would approach character thoughtfully, like we expect from the best dramas. But most mm-hmm. importantly, they would tell stories about the future." They give us hope that there will be a future like this to look forward to, which like, I'm like, Hey, fucking a a hundred percent. I could not agree any more with that statement. That's what star Trek's all about, which is why a lot of new Trek is like, and to me, cause it's not hopeful. No, it's depressing. Yeah. Depressing. It, yeah. Vi- like, unnes- like violent, unnecessarily violent, just yeah. like violent to be mean. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, Star Trek has always, for me, per, you know, I think for a lot of people, has been a comfort show. Yeah, like yeah. you know, it's, it's, and it's too like there's too much like sarcasm and like derision. Yeah, and like yeah, there's I don't know, it's just, it's just <laughs> like it doesn't. Yeah, there was a sense of something like nice about old Star Trek because mm-hmm. even if like characters like had arguments and like were kind of diametrically opposed as characters. You, they could still stand each other enough to like do a storyline together. Yeah, and like you know, it was and it was always in the service of solving the, like a larger issue, and also in the service of telling a story. And telling a story, yeah, yeah and, and was, yeah, because uh, like the the main conflict was just yeah dealing with like a moral quandary or and and it was interesting to watch, you know, and that's the thing. Like you had a bunch of people mm-hmm. 
all from different backgrounds, all co- coexisting and working together to for for a larger project. And there's, that's always like you know gets you right in the feels and yeah, see more of that. Yeah, <laughs> we we like uh, we like community. We like mutual mutual action. Yeah, yeah. Some might say we like communism. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it has both those things in a big way. <laughs> Some might say. Some could say. Um, so Star Trek fans were mostly incensed about these remarks, um, being basically the reasons we listed, uh, that they didn't try to make a Star Trek show before the fifth show in the franchise they yeah. made. Uh, but, but whatever. It, is yeah. it the fifth show? It is. Yeah. Yeah. If you count Prodigy. Oh, yeah. Prodigy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finally, in Star Trek news, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks is back next week. Yeah. Uh, one week from recording this podcast on August 25th, 2022, the third season of Lower Decks will premiere. And so we'll go back to doing the episode reviews. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, unfortunately for Star Trek VI. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it on the group chat. Maybe we'll try to do that and the episode of Lower Decks next week. We'll see. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, the show has already had a fourth season ordered, which voice acting and initial animation is being done on now. Hmm. Um, so we will be watching the series week by week and posting the episodes, hopefully the day of or day after. So check us out every week and do a watch along with us. Yeah, you. Hell yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, that's about it for Star Trek news for the week. Do we want to get into Star Trek five? No. Oh yeah, I guess we should. Yeah, but. I mean we we should because we're kind of doing we're kind of doing the Star Trek films in order. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I I more or less agree with you. I <laughs> I the we'll get before before it. before we even start talking about it, let's talk about our background with the uh, no. Let's just play the song first. <laughs> yeah. All right. Trek Five: The Final Frontier. Hell yeah! Uh, released in uh, 1989. Why don't we, uh, before we even get into uh, anything about the film, uh, what is your background on Star Trek Five? It was, I mean, it was definitely like one of the VHSs we had in the house, and yeah, you know, I watched it a few times, but definitely wasn't my favorite. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I saw this film until I was like in my 20s. Oh wow! To be honest, like I, I did a like a movie watch along in my 20s because I'd seen. I thought all of them as, as a kid, but mm-hmm. like I watched Star Trek five and I didn't remember anything about it. Yeah, and I remembered the, things about all of the other original films mm-hmm. and I saw basically all the other ones in the theater except for generations. But I definitely seen that with my dad a couple mm-hmm. of times, but um, yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Like, yeah, it was, it was in the house, but yeah, I think mm-hmm. I maybe watched it once I can remember. And like, it what didn't really like, I remember the end pretty vividly, but like everything else is, yeah. Cause it's a blur and, I don't really re- didn't really remember it until like yeah watching it later as an adult and it was like eh, it's okay yeah and so <clears throat> I I actually watched this one quite a bit probably about like as much as four mm. going back and visited as much as four now and as, as an adult because there's a lot about it that I love yeah. and like 
despite being an absolute fucking mess of a film, I will say it is very entertaining. Yeah. There are some very fun performances in there. Lots there of fun lines. Fun, fun lines. It yeah. has a dumb sense of humor to it, and most of the jokes, like, fall very flat. Yeah. But, like, some of them just kind of catch you by surprise, and it's like, oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's very – it has a lot, it's moments of silliness, which – would which definitely help like you know could have used you know we could have used some silliness a little bit of more silliness in the previous movies a little bit yeah which is interesting because Shatner actually wanted this film to be a grittier version of Star Trek mm. that didn't really come through in the it really didn't come through because he's end. A, you know um, you know we'll get into it, but uh, you yeah. know like a lot of the stuff's very comical yeah Just like and not but uh, but not unintentionally comical like some stuff that happens like yeah so so let's uh i guess uh dive a little bit into the production of the film before okay. we start talking about the film give some back history on this so um by the late 80s now star trek is fucking killing it mm-hmm. uh, star trek 4 had come out and was the most critically and uh commercially successful film in the entire franchise and although a proper conceptual trilogy <coughs> had been completed, um, uh, another Star Trek film had to be made. Mm. Why did it have to be made? Do tell. Let's dive into a <laughs> little man named William Shatner. Very little man. Very little man. As mentioned in the last episode, uh, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy had their agents negotiate a favored nations clause in their contracts, wherein whatever opportunity or pay raise was given to one of them regarding the franchise, the other would be afforded the same opportunity until now. Shatner had only really flexed this in terms of pay negotiation and being able to have some creative say in the scripts of the previous two films. At this point, Nimoy directed two of the previous films, uh, Star Trek three search for Spock and Star Trek four, um, the journey home. And although Shatner had made the same money as him, Shatner wanted the chance to prove himself behind a director's chair. Paramount, as they'd previously discussed during negotiations on Star Trek IV, was obliged to extend not only a directorial offer to Shatner, but one of creative and script control as well. Enter Harve Bennett, <laughs> producer of the, all the other Star Trek films. Uh, who had been working for the better part of a decade now on Star Trek films. He was tired and wanted to move on. But after a lengthy discussion with Shatner and some pay negotiations, he decided to return to help him with the fifth film. Roddenberry, uh, Gene Roddenberry, whom Paramount was obliged to make some sort of uh, uncared-about creative consultant for the film, hated the entire story, uh, based on a Western concept of God, as he himself was a very devout atheist. Mm-hmm. Uh, DeForest Kelly and Nimoy also had problems with the initial script and didn't want onto the project. Uh, Sulu also didn't want onto the project as he hated William Shatner. <laughs> um, fair, fair. So, uh, so Bennett approached uh, Nicholas Meyer at this point, uh, who had written Star Trek two and four to help with the script, but he was too busy working on another film. And so they brought in David Lowry, who at this point Mm. was most famous for writing dreamscape and being the uncredited, uh, rewriter of the stepfather, Mm. the thriller movie with Terry O'Quinn. It's actually pretty good. I like it. Mm. I like it a lot. Um, but they were delayed for several months by a writer's strike. Mm. 
And uh, union activity plagued this film. So the writer's strike, like, fucked up a lot of things and, like, made it so they had a a much shorter time budget for, like, special effects and shit like that. Mm -hmm. But also uh, there were some, like, uh, unionized truck workers and stuff that, like, went on strike because of working conditions for this, too. Yeah. That affected the film. Which which is good. I mean – and you always see, like, when they try to push out, like, the, you know, the, was it the writer's strike of 2007, mm-hmm. you know, it's, but then they still keep trying to go you know, yeah. just, without the writers, and it's just, like, produces some of the most awful shit that's ever come <laughs> Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. Doctor, yeah, Doctor, in yeah. the, was it the thir- second season of Heroes? Oh, yeah. That was so bad. Or it was the third season, I can't remember. But, the second yeah. season, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was so bad. <laughs> so Shatner, uh, as director now, uh, wanted to give Star Trek a grittier, more realistic feel. So he worked with art director Nilo Rodas. I think the production design for the film is actually pretty good, mm. um, considering the rest of the film. And combined with the work of Herman Zimmerman, who was the production designer of TNG, uh, all of the sets and costumes in this film are pretty pretty good. Yeah, there's some sense. very recognizable props that are in the background from TNG. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, and a lot of the product they used uh, a lot of, like a couple of the hallways and I think like a hangar bay or something from mm-hmm. uh, TNG. Um, and they uh, made like a couple new sets. I mean, it's it's a pretty good looking film so far as like set design and production design goes. Yeah, visually it isn't like the stuff that's not special effects looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in, so, yeah. In the original script, the uh, end battle called for an epic battle between angels and demons, but (laughs) Paramount was concerned about the cost of filming something on that scale, so it was decided to make make this into six rock monsters instead. But, uh, sort of like never ending story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but in, uh, after making one of the costumes, they decided the cost would be prohibitive. And so it would just be one rock monster. Then we got zero rock monsters. But, but then in post productions, the scenes were found to be totally unsatisfactory and it was changed into an entity of light instead. Mm-hmm. And William Shatner was quoted as saying, like, uh, uh, the big silly man in a rubber suit, like, just ended up looking like a big silly man in a rubber suit. So we cut that out. Um, it is good that they eventually did get Angels and Demons <laughs> with Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Very you know, we didn't get Angels and Demons in this, but we got Angels and Demons later. Oh, that's true. That's true. Oh, yeah. I, I, get what you, I was very confused about that joke. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Sorry it's to everybody. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. No, it was, it was just me. I'm too slow. Um, when casting the film, the role of Cybok was originally written for Sean Connery. God, that would have been so fucking cool. I know, right? And in fact, oh. the planet in the film, uh, Shakari, was named after him. But he was too expensive at the time. And so they went for an actor named Lawrence Luckenbell after Shatner saw him do a performance on PBS of President Lyndon mm. Johnson. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, well, well, you know, Sean Connery, he actually went on to make one of my favorite sci-fi movies after he became unhirable. Made Zardoz. Oh yeah, after, Zardoz after, fucks, dude. I love it. Does Zardoz. yeah. He, after the Bond series, he became unhirable. Why? Just because difficult to work with, I guess. <laughs> so at the time, he was very cheap to hire. So that's why he did Zardoz. Zardoz fucks, dude. Zardoz does fucking. I think uh, the the Godhead kind of looks like Zardoz's stone face. Okay, a little bit. Well, like, because he was modeled after you know. Also, like also, I always thought like. Uh, when I first watched Zardoz, I thought like uh, Zardoz's voice was Patrick Stewart. Interesting. Yeah, it doesn't sound like him. 
Zardoz speaks to you. I guess it kind of does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I never really thought about it like that. Yeah, yeah I always I thought know. it was him, but it's not. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Lawrence Luckenbell, uh, who plays Cybok, also happened to be the son-in-law of Lucille Ball. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the uncle of the Wachowskis as well. Say what? Yeah, the uncle of the Wachowskis. It's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. The bridge sets for both the Enterprise and the Klingon Bird of Prey, which had been reused for the past three films, are actually all brand new. And uh, some of the corridors and the sick bay are new or reused from uh, the next generation sets. You can definitely tell like the, there was a little bit more detail and up close shots of the Bird of Prey and stuff. Yeah, and the, the, the fucking the bridge looked on the, the Enterprise A looked really good. There mm. was uh, Michael Okuda was back to do oh, uh, designs on that, of course. Yeah. We love Michael Okuda. We do. Except when he's just like retweeting neoliberal shit on twitter <laughs> do you do you follow him on twitter i don't i, 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 I stop following him because i oh. think all he does is like re, like retweet like occupied democrats and stuff like that uh, well, i did see um uh janeway tweeted uh say like um no we stand with liz cheney oh, <laughs> I was just like, no i was like no, no. <laughs> But she did go and say, this is not an endorsement of Liz Cheney. I'm like, okay. Oh, I saw, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, I respect her. I did see that. Uh, like, yeah, I respect her, but mm. respect is not an endorsement or some shit like that. So, like, <laughs> I am I am a proud centrist Yeah, I mean, Democrat. she's, she's going to be Hillary Clinton's uh, running mate in 2024. <laughs> uh, dude, Clinton Janeway would be quite the ticket. Oh, not her, Liz Cheney. Oh, oh, yeah. No, <laughs> thank you. No, no, thank no, you. No. That 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 is the most unwinnable ticket of all time. I think I would just commit ritual suicide. Oh yeah, we we, <laughs> I, I, we could have a seppuku podcast party, brother. Oh shit, Hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the initial location filming at Yosemite Park was blocked by Union truckers during the production. Good for them. But yeah, but but then <laughs> the, the production got scabs to move everything uh, under course. the cover of night. Oh damn you! So honestly, fuck this entire movie and fuck scabs. Yeah. Oh man, we were and we were talking during the film like how uh, there's um Michael Berryman's scab brother in it, Michael Cherryman. Oh yeah, there is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it was, what, there was yeah, what, there were scabs on this film. Yep, it's a big bummer. Um, now I yeah, that 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 really just also sours the movie for me even more. I know, right? Like that <laughs> that makes everything so much worse when you know that they and th- that's the thing is like industrial light and magic. I think is unionized and like mm-hmm. good, you know good good production companies are unionized. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, it's it's just like it's a shitty <clears throat> cost cutting thing. And, yeah, the, yeah, like all the Marvel movies, have done, like they're VA, v, uh, VFX uh, artists, yeah. not unionized. Yeah, yeah. and, and that's why everything hate working for them, and everything looks like dog shit. Yeah, it does. Now. <laughs> um, so, Industrial Light and Magic was unavailable for this film as they were working on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Fuck and, yeah, and Blockbuster Two, both of which were released the same summer of this, and absolutely helped destroy the film. Yeah, um, it's true. I've I've definitely i i I've watched. The Last Crusade, God knows how many times. Yeah. <laughs> hours yeah. hours of my life so dedicated to watching that movie. <laughs> they ended up using Associates and Farron, who did Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> okay. 
They were given only three months uh, in part because of the writer's strike, and it was clear that the company did not have the capacity to do effects up to the quality of the prior films. No, all the background aliens look awful. They definitely just guys in rubber masks. And like and the stuff. space scenes and stuff and the space battles scenes, are not. Yeah. There's, there's a particular shot when the the Enterprise like warps mm-hmm. away from a photon oh, torpedo yeah. that is just like almost comically bad. It yeah, looks yeah. like a sh- it's straight. It looks to me like a <laughs> shot from fucking like Star Trek, the animated series from like, you know, 15 years. It prior. looks like, it it's looks like, so uh, like, you know, one of those like low budget Indian, uh, remakes yeah. of, 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 yeah, of, yeah. Of, of Star Trek. Yeah, it it's just like, but they just like, take like the cell that the star trek uh shot is on just like move it with their hands and just away <laughs> from the shot yeah it's, it's it look that look that looks so bad and it, there was like zero like ze- like it just took you completely out like okay that just looked like a fake shot yeah me. and that's <laughs> and that's the thing is like the quality of the effects and pretty much all the other films i mean i i i would definitely say one and two probably have the best effects in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and the quality of those shots like help immerse you. Yeah. And even, especially in one, like the great miniature stuff that they do oh, yeah. in a lot of ways to me is like Blade Runner in that it's like, mm-hmm. it's just great atmosphere and it brings you into the world a lot more because you see the vastness and the scale of everything. Yeah. You don't get a scale of much in this. Like, no. like that's a fa- Like, like V'ger had, way more awe yeah. to it going in and it and, just turned out to be a little probe and yeah. this like they're going to go meet fucking God. Yeah. And God is just like <laughs> so anticlimactic it, and it, it is. And it's super weird how like late in the film it is. They mm-hmm. kind of get to God and how like how anticlimactic the entire reveal of God. Yeah. And then like the, it, yeah it's 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 a weird thing yeah there's no no yeah v'ger like you're going and you're just like now this could be god Mm -hmm. just like the like the the, you know get the scale of how small the enterprise is and the and and its mass and Mm -hmm. this it's like they just go to the desert (laughs) and and get surrounded by fiberglass it's a little star warsy in that way yeah Yeah. there's a lot of star wars yeah apparently like um uh there was some elements that uh uh, Gene Roddenberry uh, personally like hated because he thought Shatner was trying to turn it into a sci-fi fantasy rather yeah. than um yeah and I could I could see, I could see that like yeah. there are definitely like elements of that in here yeah yeah, yeah it's kind of kind of a silly Billy Jelly Beans I'd say <laughs> mm-hmm. a silly William Jelly Beans but then like not enough like if they're gonna yeah, go, if yeah, they're gonna it, go silly it, Billy it gumdrops yeah, like yeah it, it didn't <laughs> it didn't go it didn't go silly william tic tacs yeah it just edged you to that point yeah and then yeah just like, like it could have been dumber and if it was dumber it would be immensely more rewatchable yes like it would be just as bad of a film mm-hmm. but it would be a better bad film yes you know and like there are elements of this and a, a big reason why i do rewatch it is the end which is objectively <laughs> the worst part of the film <laughs> yeah the last 20 minutes is like laughably bad mm-hmm but it is my favorite part, and I, I feel the most rewatchable part of this movie because it is so motherfucking silly. No, oh, yeah. Um, like the the whole premise. There, there's a certain line in here that is not meant to be a comical line, but is an iconic line, mm-hmm. and I think probably one of the most iconic lines in all of Star Trek, perhaps. Uh, and we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's it's the delivery, everything about it. This movie is a 
it's a disaster piece in my opinion. Like you can tell what they're going for so many times. Yeah. And you can also tell exactly how they failed at it. And it's great. Yeah. It's like you're, you're getting the rough idea of someone's grander plan. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this is like a first draft. This is like a demo tape, but a movie for like a good film. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it would have been funny if like on, on God's face, it was just like some text that said like insert, (laughs) insert effect here or something. (laughs) And they just never removed it. Like something like, oh yeah, we're going to do some really cool thing here. And they just never did. And yeah, this, this film, honestly, yeah, it, to me, it just feels largely incomplete. And there, yeah. there are production reasons for that. Like I said, especially with the ending, uh, where they kept on cutting it down from different things and changing it. And that, that sucks that they have to actually change the climax of the film. And I guess the actual meaning at the end of the film, I don't know. Did did you get a meaning to this film at the end? Do you feel like you gained anything from this? Because I feel like I'm a dumber person after watching this <laughs> like twice and like yeah. taking extensive notes. Like I don't understand what William Shatner was trying to say with this film other than William Shatner's pretty awesome. Yeah, like because, yeah, especially with the character of Cybok, like, right, like what, like. Like there was a lot of like, you know, is oh he's like arrogant. He's you know they're trying. Movie is trying to tell you he's like this arrogant, like full of himself, like you know narcissist. That's, that's Kirk. But, but, yeah, that's Kirk. Yeah. Once like, again, Cybok. Once again, the real villain of the movie is Kirk. Like yeah. every fucking movie. <laughs> and finally, someone's like, this man shouldn't have a starship. I yeah. should. And he 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 like diplomatically basically gains control of the starship. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want. Won't. Like, yeah, it'd be hard to let's go into spoiler territory. Let's, I yeah, guess. let's jump on in. Uh, yeah. Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier released 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 on June ninth, nineteen eighty nine. This was uh, written by David Lowry, uh, who wrote Dreamscape, Passenger Fifty Seven, and his greatest film, Tom and Huck, Disney's Tom and Huck. Never seen it. Really? It's about Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. Oh. And they're played, I think, respectively by Jonathan Taylor Thomas and the other, I think, the the older kid from Home Improvement or something. Hmm. Yeah. Their one friend isn't in it, is he? I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, and with him, a Shatner, uh, sorry, a story by Shatner, Harv Bennett, and himself. Mm. Oh, shoot. To make sure this keeps running. It's wild. Just a moment. All right. Um, so, um, music by Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, we had the TNG theme at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, the reworked theme. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, the, the reworked theme at the very beginning of the movie for the credits is... Basically, uh, the score um, for the first Star Trek film mm-hmm. um, reworked yeah. slightly. And it was also a different version from the one he reworked for uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm. Uh, this one, I guess, with uh, more themes from the original Star Trek theme in it, mm-hmm. 
which is kind of interesting, which I didn't really notice too much. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, but he also, I guess, uh, Jerry Goldsmith uses a lot more synthesizers in this film. Hell yeah. Which uh, I noticed definitely, especially when they're on like Nimbus 3 and stuff. There's mm. some pretty cool synthesis. Yeah, like the that was the definitely the... Yeah. The Katina scene from Star Wars. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and like, and the music here is definitely one of the high points of the film. I'd yeah. Say. Like, I, I love Jerry Goldsmith. He can really do no wrong. And this just fucks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, directed by William Shatner, of course, Bit. as we talked about. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's gone on to do other movies. Nothing, nothing big, really, though. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully. Uh, Maybe we should watch another William Shatner directed film. Yeah, what other movies has he directed? I don't know. I've got a couple on my server. Some like real dog shit ones. Cool. Uh, he he did like a dog shit thriller, mystery thriller in the '90s that I have that like no one's ever heard of. I want to say like Brett Michaels is in it or some dog shit like that. <laughs> it's super dumb. Hell's yeah, that's that's a mark of a good movie. Um, yeah. So uh, art director once again was Nilo Rotis. Uh, production designer Herman Zimmerman for this film. Uh, yeah. So, the prologue. On the desert planet, Nimbus 3, a scavenger named Ja'on is digging holes in a field. Uh, I think looking for water or something. I don't know. Yeah, he's moisture farming. Yeah, this is very Star Wars here. Yeah. Um, he stops digging and sees, emerging from the dust in the distance, a man riding towards him on a horse. Looks exactly like the, uh, the cover of a dope smoker mm-hmm. um, by uh, sleep. Yeah. John points a weapon at him. Uh, it's this crude weapon that like, mm-hmm. and he's like frantically searching for like bullets and the bullets are just rocks that are like pouring out of his pockets. Mm-hmm. It's got, like a pocket full of rocks. Like mm-hmm. um, it's definitely, we were talking about earlier. It's uh, definitely the, uh, the weapon that uh, they used to kill uh, Shinzo Abe. Yeah. It's the, the Shinzo Abe rifle. They should go back. I mean, we have the technology. We can go back and digitally add that gun to his, to his hands. And so that would add sort of like a sort of like a mythology to it. Like somehow that gun. The Shinzo up, Abe gun. Yeah, went, went from Japan and ended up in the neutral zone on, the, on a planet <laughs> called Planet. And then, like, uh, that guy was just using it. Like, who is, yeah, is, he has, but, like, Kurt Cobain shotgun for some <laughs> yeah. reason. That's Mike. And, of course, that's uh, Marcus Cherryman, Michael Ch- Berryman's brother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is, is that John? Huh? Yeah. Or, oh, okay, okay. Marcus Cherryman. Yeah, yeah. The gums guy. That gums guy. Yeah. Gums guy who guy. looks exact, kind of looks like a, like a low rent uh, scab version. Yeah. Of uh of uh, Michael Berryman. Yeah. We and love. So, and and so he, he has um he, he has like no teeth and he's just got like these very painful looking like white gums. Yeah, he something. has like little tiny tooth stumps at the end of those gums. Yeah, he has a mouth that looks really painful to own. Yeah, I wasn't sure if he was supposed to be human or an alien. Like especially with this either. mouth. And there's there's actually quite a few especially on Nimbus three, quite a few things I'm like, is that an alien or is it just a deformed human or like like everything yeah, because is like, humanoid because like, like paradise city was written in english on the on the entrance right right and so, so i like, assume most things there might be human, but at the same time we might just be seeing that with the universal translator eyes oh yeah so they never talk about if universal translators like how that works with like uh you know reading seeing text because like we can do that with our phones now you know, you can use that Google Translate and just hold it up to a thing and mm. it'll show you what it is. Oh, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah, it's really cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's super fucking... They've had the technology for like a decade now. It's nuts. Oh, damn. Yeah, technology is crazy, dude. Yeah, I wonder if that does happen. I mean, yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. Um, so Ja'on points the Shinzo Abe rifle at him, and the man mutters, I thought weapons were forbidden on this planet. Um, which, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's actually some decent storytelling. Like, yeah, who, but who's going to enforce that rule? It seems like a lawless place. Yeah, well, like that's why. Well, it's like Japan. They have yeah. they they have weapons forbidden, which is why they got to make Shinzo Abe's. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So dismounting from the horse, uh, he asked the man. He asked if the man would kill him for a few empty holes in the ground. He approaches the man, staring at him, and asks what his pain <laughs> is. And like mm. the music, gets real intense. He says. All men hide a secret pain. He tells him to share his pain and gain, gain strength from the sharing. What do you think this guy's pain is? His teeth. <laughs> yeah. He, he like sees a man in the corner and it's just him like going like, oh, my fucking mouth. Oh, and since like the. Um, I wish the, I had dental insurance. The, fuck. The, the little shop of horrors uh, special effects people worked on this. Mm-hmm. So then he turns and it's at Steve Martin. He's like, I'll be your dentist. <laughs> And he's like, no, no. Well, by the way, happy 70th birthday to Steve Martin, who just uh, had a 70th birthday. Oh, did recently. he? Yeah. Oh, happy birthday. Who, he, no one could have told that. Like, he's he's been like uh, 45 for the past like 40 years, right? Yeah, when I lived in um, uh, Maryland, he would always do a, a bluegrass festival. Oh, yeah. And I always wanted to go he's see a, him. I'm he's like, a banjo player. That <clears throat> man. He's a banjoman. Yeah, I heard he's a really good banjo player. And I always was like, ah, I should go to that fucking uh bluegrass i don't i don't care about bluegrass but i want to see steve martin play around on a banjo but yeah, and making making some steve martin jokes Hopefully, never, do you never. think he plays the uh the king tut song on the banjo <laughs> i saw you get so funky funky tut. <laughs> did you do the monkey my my fucking so for some reason my aunt whenever steve martin would come on on tv in any way and i lived with my aunt for like a year mm-hmm. she would always told the exact same story the exact same way about how she watched Steve Martin on SNL doing the fucking King Tut thing. And she would always go, and he made me laugh and <laughs> laugh and laugh. And so like me and my brother will, whenever we see Steve Martin, we will tell each other <laughs> that story verbatim. And it's a, uh, it's a joke that really never gets old. So are you and your brother watching only murders in the building? No, he says going... it's really good though. Yeah. I liked it. I watched the first yeah, season. I've heard it's good. It's uh, yeah. and it has, surprisingly has Martin short and it's good, which yeah. Martin short is known for only doing bad things like Jiminy Glick and uh, Clifford. Oh, Clifford, where he's the like nine year old boy. Yeah, <laughs> I just rewatched that recently. I, I just re got that in because uh, they, I think they recently released it on Blu ray. Nice. Um, <laughs> That's if any movie needs to, that deserves to be on Blu ray. Yeah, Clifford. The, the, the best comedy of 1992. I don't know. Is it? I don't know. Who cares? It feels like 92, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, is it the best comedy? <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's, it's a comedy from a year. Yeah. I, I didn't laugh. No, it's not, it's not very funny. It's really dark. It's mm. really incredibly dark. Oh, Clifford? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's like, like a, for a comedy movie, it's just yeah. like it feels mean. Yeah. I mean, Clifford's uh, very annoying. So Clifford sucks, yeah. And like his yeah. his parents suck. Like everyone sucks. So I mean his parents are, are fine, but they're just like their lives are falling apart because they're mm. a shitty child. Yeah, they're child. Because of Martin Short. <laughs> just like my, my life is falling apart because of Martin Short. Did you know that? No. Yeah. I blame him. Yeah, it's it's fair. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why you didn't haven't watched Only Murders in the Building yet. Cause. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, have you ever you've watched uh, Jiminy Glick and La La Wood, right? I I've seen. Uh, I like Jiminy Glick. 
<laughs> he had some very funny interviews. I'm sorry, we need to we need to talk off mic for just a second. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I'm a Mar- I'm a Martin shirt apologist. Wow, yeah, you are. I always have to take the I always have to take the the worst opinions, but they're all my genuine opinions. I like Martin Short a lot. Three amigos slaps. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you ever see uh, that that movie about him? Uh, it's it's like Jiminy Glick, but he just has his regular name, uh, the Big Short. I've seen that. He's not in that. But he's, I guess, short. <laughs> what is it you wah, seek? John asks. The, oh, and by the way, mm. uh, the Cybok uh, was originally supposed to be like the the horn on the horse. It was supposed to be a much grander horn. It was supposed to be an actual unicorn. Oh yeah. We haven't talked about that yet. The, uh, yeah. the fucking, the horse that's, uh, this, this mysterious man who is, uh, um, making people share their pain, mm-hmm. their mouth pain. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's on a horse and the horse has a fucking horn mm-hmm. like a unicorn, but not quite a unicorn. Well, apparently like Shatner originally wanted it to be larger Mm-hmm. But then, like, that was the sci-fi fantasy element that Gene Roddenberry hated, so he talked uh, them down to just, like... A little horn. A little horn. Yeah, I get that. That makes sense. That's yeah. that's funny. Imagine Gene Roddenberry just freaking out in his trailer <laughs> every day on set, being like, he's fucking ruined it. I should have never fucking hired this guy as fucking captain. He's a piece of shit, that motherfucker. Like, I mean, what year did he die, Gene Roddenberry? 92 or mm, something? I mean, this, I mean, this could been the uh been the start of the downfall for him probably yeah he could have lived a much longer life if not for star trek five <laughs> yeah well and all the movies that are just like giving him uh, psychic pain I, let's not give the movie that much credit all right all it's right. not i mean you heard it here first folks yeah i, I wish star trek five killed gene roddenberry <laughs> let, i mean if so it's the best star trek film by far but uh, <laughs> can we get a star trek film to kill rick berman <laughs> hmm I would like them to make. Uh, I mean, and I I did read that they were supposedly making like a a fourth of the um, of the uh, Kelvin universe. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's actually so it's slated to come out December twenty twenty three. They it's still in pre production, but they think oh, they can get they they think they can get everything together by then. That's they they've actually announced it. Mm. Uh, the studio has, I think Paramount said like, yeah, uh, we're shooting for December, 2023 holiday season. Cool. All right. So what is it you seek? John asks the mysterious man who's asking for his pain. The man tells him he seeks what he seeks. What all men have sought since time began. The ultimate knowledge. Mm. What do you think the ultimate knowledge is? I think it's the G spot. Oh yeah. The oh, yeah, the fabled oh yeah, the A spot for men. Oh yeah, yeah, he's A seeking, spot. Yeah, Pro, it's, I just call it the prostate. Oh yeah, right, A spot. Yeah, A Spock. A Spock. <laughs> Get my G Spock, baby. <laughs> my G Spock. Um, no, whatever. Yeah, I mean, Cybok does seem like he'd be a very horny guy if he was given given the opportunity to be. Well, he's like a cult leader, and one thing we know about all cult leaders is they're extra fucking horny. Keith Rainier, oh, all of them fuck. Yeah, all of them fuck, man. That's it's the true. reason you start a fucking cult. Why yeah. else would you start a goddamn cult? It's stupid. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility if you don't get to fuck. It's true. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I mean, weren't the Heaven's Gate people all oh, celibate? Yeah. No. Yeah. 
So that was that was a bad cult. That's why they all. That's why they all, that's that's why all died. Yeah, yeah. That's why they all killed themselves. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> Though Jonestown, they fucked. Oh, they've de- uh, fucking uh, George Jones. Yeah, yeah. He he fucked. Yeah, he, he fucked, fucked everybody. <laughs> yeah, fucking. Um, what was the Waco? What were they? Uh, that guy fucked. Yeah, David Koresh. Yeah, David Koresh. He definitely fucked. Yeah, he, he got that fuck mullet. He did Let's keep the hair out of his face while he's fucking <laughs> dangling over them bitches. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, yeah. I think, he, but I think he mostly he did is like, yeah, assault. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, you know, consent when you're in a cold, it's not yeah. like a thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all kind of bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cults so I guess, are bad. So I guess Cybok, he's actually a pretty like he's a he's a really responsible cult leader. He, then. Yeah, I and mean, that's the thing you see with him. He's a pretty stand up dude. No, like, Cybok rocks. Like Cybok is the hero of this film. And I'm over the next probably four hours. I'm going to make <laughs> make, make this the case, case for make the case for Cybok. Make, this is this is Star Trek Five. The case for Cybok. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm ready to join him, and he didn't even take away my pain. Yeah, right? So. Like, Cy- Cybok saves Spock, who then saves the universe on multiple occasions. So we can definitely mm. make the argument, I think, that Cybok may be the greatest hero in the history of the universe, along with Pike, who apparently saves saves Spock. It's true. Yeah, so, you know, Christopher Pike, Cybok, some of the best people out there. Mm. Both sides. Both sides. Both sides. <laughs> um, so... uh to find the ultimate knowledge, uh, this mysterious man who's asking for pain notes, they will need a starship. Ja'on mentions that Nimbus 3 has no such vessels, but the mysterious man reveals he may have a way to bring them a starship. When Ja'on asks how he plans to accomplish this, the man throws back his hood, showing the scavenger his distinct pointed Vulcan or Romulan ears. Mm. You know what? It never, it never addresses in this film. Maybe this guy is a Romulan intruder. Mm. You ever consider that? Yeah, they could have considered it. That would have been a more interesting ending. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, well then, but then how would Spock have recognized him? Because he's an intruder and he got like facial reconstruction. Oh, uh, okay. Or it's like a, like uh, you know, they, you know, we've seen, like, with uh, Picard, like, Romulans love to clone people and replace them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, get a, you get, it, there, there'd be a Tom Hardy Cybok. Ooh. <laughs> I'd, I'd be into that. <laughs> I'd be into that. That idea makes me wet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that'd be, that could be who plays. Um... Although, Tom Hardy as the Romulan is not hot. And it doesn't make any as sense. A, as, as the clone Picard? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. make any sense because Tom Hardy's like hot, but he doesn't look good like that. It's no. weird. It he, weirds me out. He didn't, yeah, like, he, he didn't make a convincing. Tom Hardy is weird. He didn't make a convincing young Picard, but you know, have to know. like throw, you know, that kind of like stuff out. Like, okay, it's him. Like, that's why, I, you know, I like it when the movies don't try too hard. Like, they did in Looper, where they added all that fake shit to... Um, oh, I hated that. Jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt's yeah, face. Yeah. Like, try to make him look, look more like Bruce Willis. Yeah, that was that was so just, distracting for me. It just took me to out of the make movie. a greyhound look like a bulldog. <laughs> like, what are you doing? 
Yeah. Just, it's, just cast different people. Just, like, they're trying you, to make him look like handsome Squidward. Yeah, like, like <laughs> make, if I can get Daniel Day-Lewis, he looks like old Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. There's plenty of guys who do. Like, yeah, and also, but also it's like, you know, you can, like, you know, take it off. You're like, you know, like make concessions. Like, okay, that's supposed to be... You know, yeah, yeah, like if it's good storytelling, no one really cares. Yeah, that's I mean that that's why, and you know, you know that's not young Picard because it's just <laughs> it not sucked. a good story. It yeah. sucked. Yeah, it, it definitely. Sucked. And why? Yeah, and just like during Looper, it was like I hated that movie. I yeah, just like looking at weird handsome squid where Joseph Gordon Levitt more like Pooper, <laughs> more like Pooper. Gotcha. Uh, yep, got him. That's um, a, so that's review of Looper. <laughs> so, uh, the um. The stranger shows his distinct Vulcan ears, or Romulan, and says, Have faith, my friend. There are more of us than you know. And then he begins just laughing. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Ha ha ha. Opening credits. It's like, why are you laughing? What are we laughing at? <laughs> I need water to live. We're dehydrating. <laughs> um, so now we have opening credits. Uh, and we got Jerry Goldsmith again, very obviously, with his uh, original score from uh, Star Trek. One, yeah, uh, it, it it fucks like it fucks it so hard. He is the composer for the Star Trek films. Mm-hmm. You must respect him. Star Trek two and three have good scores. Four, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's not great. Re- I mean, four does have like the four is yellow its jackets. own thing. Yeah, the yellow jacket <laughs> slap. Yeah, like the Battle of the Whales. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, like, I got to mention in the last episode, but mm-hmm. yeah, just like listen to Battle of the Whales. And, just like set the mood down to the mm-hmm. light candle. Yeah, put put on put on uh, some incense. Mm-hmm. Get you uh, your prostate, whatever. Yeah, set, put on a put on a silken robe of some kind. And Ooh, just, just, just just get a bar stool. Turn it upside down, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Invite three friends over because <laughs> you got four legs on that thing. <laughs> Play musical chairs where everybody wins, baby. <laughs> okay, done. But yeah, just uh, just uh, just enjoy Battle of the Whales. It's a good song. Uh, all right. So after the opening credits, where uh, you know has people's names mm-hmm. on white on white. Oh God, the the fucking font that they used for this initial yeah. until it goes into space, where yeah. it says Star Trek and then like directed by William Shatner. Mm-hmm. It just looks like fucking dog shit. It looks it's, so it's bad. Blinding. Yeah, like it's, it, it's it, white on white with like a, a a very like long distance black drop shadow. Mm-hmm. that's solid, and it just looks terrible. Yeah, it's awful, terrifying. Um, so. A recently demoted Captain James T. Kirk is back on Earth, spending his shore leave free climbing El Capitan in Yosemite National Park <laughs> in North America, even though he's fucking old and should not be doing that. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen Free Solo or those other, I can't remember the other documentary that's about like uh, free climbing, mm-hmm. like. That shit's oh, there's, dangerous there's as hell. There's free solo and then there's expensive solo. <laughs> expensive solo. <laughs> or 399 solo. <laughs> yeah. Like uh Three, 350 solo. <laughs> 350. But yeah, like that's 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 typically something that's done by accomplished climbers in their 20s and 30s, you know, people who have like a lot of mobility and strength, mm-hmm. body strength, not but, like 58-year-old well, so, Shatner. <laughs> uh, 58 Shatner is 58 here, exactly as old as Patrick Stewart was for Star Trek Insurrection. Oh, interesting. Yeah, where he also tried to be an action star and did not do it very He's well. He's still trying to be an action star. He is an action star in my heart. Now now his action is like the trauma of his mother committing suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did get hit by a car. 
That yeah, a fucking Tesla. Yeah, I got hit by a Tesla. And... Yeah, thanks Elon Musk. That's the one good thing Elon <laughs> Musk has done is he, he tried to end Picard season two oh, before damn. before its conclusion. You no, know, I hate the guy, but you know, yeah, you know, fucking uh, broken cock and still torture balls. <laughs> you know what they say. Um, so I have no idea why Paramount allows these old men to play action star. It's kind of disturbing, and I feel like they. Sh- insurance should cost more for these films yeah maybe that's why the films cost so much it's just the insurance for letting these old dudes do things i like how in other movies that's always like when it's like a bunch of old guys like Mm -hmm. trying to like go back and do like badass stuff it's always like a like a like a comedic trope (laughs) you know just like you know like the wild hogs you know like a bunch of old guys or space cowboys i think the only person who can legitimately do it okay besides jackie chan who i think is now retired is like tom cruise yeah i mean because he actually like still does his own stunts and he's a crazy man and he i think he sleeps in stem cells or something yeah some sort of alien technology yeah i i i fully like I can like suspend my disbelief for Tom Cruise doing things because I truly believe he thinks he is a God and, and like actually (laughs) takes risks like one. Yeah. And I find it almost fascinating at times. It's going to be interesting if he does like end up getting killed. No, he's going to get killed on set and it's going to be beautiful. (laughs) Like they're going to release that. Like it's going to make rotten.com a thing again. Oh yeah. Rotten.com. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, yeah, they'll probably be snapping photos of. Oh, I'll be, I'll be jerking off to every single one of them, baby. <laughs> I'll be fucking clearing my thetans, if you know what I mean. <laughs> All the thetans out of my balls. That would be funny if, like, if he gets like decapitated or something doing a stunt, oh, then like a whole bunch so of the- cool. bunch of thetans start climbing out. Of <laughs> <laughs> or just like, go possess the rest of the crew. Or, or like his, like the face opens up and it's like that tiny alien from Men in Black. <laughs> He's like, I take me home. Uh, that that would be a fun thing to do. Yeah. Halfway up the mountain, Kirk is greeted by Spock, who has followed him wearing levitation boots. <laughs> Dr. McCoy is watching him with binoculars from far away while Kirk, cursing Kirk's irresponsibility for climbing El Capitan because, once again, he's a 58-year-old man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, bones. wearing a wig. If you <laughs> if you have to wear a wig, you're not allowed to free climb shit. Yeah, you wouldn't also like imagine like doing something like that and be like, oh, got to make sure I have my wig while I do this thing by myself. Right? <laughs> like, like, who are you trying to prove, dude? You're you, you know, <laughs> uh, in a moment of distraction, uh, Kirk slips and falls off El Capitan, in- which is sick. It is sick, and like I, I got a boner. Like I got fucking hard, <laughs> fast. I don't know about you. I almost came, but instead, um, Spock dives after and uh, retrieves him. And it is wild because like m- m- people who do free solo like that, like a lot of people have died. Yeah, which is I actually. Um, so back when I was in uh, middle school. There was this kid, and I totally forget his name, but, like, I was in a band with some other kids, and then, like, we kind of broke up, and then, like, they, they kind of started another band with this kid as a bassist instead, and so he thought there was beef, and so he, like, challenged me to a fight or something. I'm like, why would I fight? That's dumb. Mm-hmm. You can be the bass. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. care. And that, and that was that. Um, but then I, I, like, always held it kind of against him, because I'm like, why did he even challenge me? That was dumb. Yeah. 
Uh, and so uh, him and his brothers went climbing like a year or two later. It was only like 14 or something. Mm. And they all, in an accident, fell off and all three of them died together. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And they were, they were, did they have like safety harnesses and stuff? Or Yeah, yeah. They just like were all like harnessed together. And, oh, like, man. I guess like the top one fell off and it was a cascading effect. And they all got pulled down. That's a fucking nightmare for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they fell like 30,000 feet or some shit like Holy that. Holy shit. Yeah. An absolute like insane fall. Well. Stuntman Kenny Bates is credited with the highest descender fall in the United States, standing in for William Shatner's fall from Al Capitan. That's that's pretty interesting because it looked like the entire fall was like blue screened. Yeah, like with Shatner falling, and it's like the funniest thing ever. It's it it's is. one of the funniest moments in the film. And then like yeah, Spock flying face down, face forward, <laughs> yeah. down after him, and um, yeah, it's it's really fucking funny. But Spock catches him right before uh, he hits the ground, grabbing him by his ankle, and I didn't come because of that. It was like it was a crazy edging moment. I was just like, <laughs> uh, nope, okay. It is funny how much like he slows down at that point. Like, Mm -hmm. like he, like it acts like, you know, the rules of laws of gravity, you know, that'd be amazing if, if like, like his inertia pulled Spock to (laughs) earth too. And they both died. Yeah. Broke his legs. He's built so much momentum at that point. Like he would like, like Spock would have had to, you know, start flying up. Yeah. True. You know, probably would have like dislocated or ripped off his leg. Yeah, because they, they establish <laughs> later that, like, weight actually affects this, and so, like, inertia mm-hmm. has to affect it as well, yeah. right? God, that would have been amazing if, like, just fucking Kirk crushes his fucking skull on the ground, and then Spock's legs just, like, go straight through his kneecaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just yeah, a giant he, compound he, fracture. He, Bones is just looking through the binoculars, like... <laughs> He just pulls out Fuck. a gun and shit. Yeah. <laughs> or just t- takes a takes a swig of the bean ingredients. The be- yeah, he takes yeah. a sw- swig of his beans. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, because he grabbed him from like what, like two feet from splattering yeah, like, on the like ground, right next to the fucking ground. <laughs> yeah, he would have it would have pulled him down, and they would have both been pancakes. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> So, out in the distant galaxy, three ambassadors from the United Federation of Planets, uh, the Romulan Star Empire, and the Klingon Empire meet alone in Paradise City on Nimbus 3 for a private conference. Uh, this city is obviously kind of like a, a shitty Reno, Nevada almost. Tatooine. Kinda. Yeah, Reno, Nevada. Yeah, Reno, Nevada. Uh, <laughs> Tatooine's a little generous, don't you think? Actually, yeah. Uh, Tatooine actually looks better. <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, Tatooine kind of slaps to be honest yeah that's why i didn't understand uh why these they had to have this secret meeting or have this meeting at all in like one of the worst places it is a dangerous area that they probably shouldn't be in right yeah like and they don't have any any uh guards or any of their you know any bodyguards of any yeah, kind for them? Yeah, nobody comes with them. It's just the these three ambassadors alone, these three political <laughs> diplomats, like with state secrets on a planet with a bunch of Shinzo Abe guns. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, like, all of them should have gotten Shinzoed, man. Yeah, they're they're gonna get Shinzoed. Yeah, but I guess like they had to go because they you know they wanted to see like the you know the the uh, cat girl with the three titties. So, yeah, yeah, the Cation. Yeah, we they were just like Cation. We love them Cation yeah. Titty. Saint John Talbot. I love it. like that name's so funny to me. Like his first name Saint John. That's a, that's a great name. Yeah, and that's played by uh, uh David Warner who, you know, played multiple 
yeah. Star Trek roles and died recently, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So both uh, the um, the Federation person and the Klingon guy in here, the Klingon Empire ambassadors, uh, both had like several roles on mm-hmm. multiple Star Trek franchises, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Love to see that. Um, Love to see it, folks. So the young Romulan ambassador enters, uh, Kathleen Dar, and she is looking fly as Smoking. hell. Yeah, she's got... A weird makeup thing going. She's has a uh, weird uh, gold cups on her ears. Yeah, yeah, her. almost like like really crazy Bajoran earrings in a way. Yeah, it looked like you know, almost like headphones. Like she's like listening. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. She's just listening to, like fucking audio books of like Star Trek erotica, and she looks very odd. She looks very like looks very unromulan like. Yes, she's not doesn't have their their, their conform doesn't have the conformity. To that the little not at all she have. doesn't look evil at all she looks kind of like a bad. yeah she actually looks really fun yeah. so <laughs> she rides into paradise city on a horse and expresses optimism in nimbus 3 which has been billed is the planet of galactic peace uh at its founding 20 years prior however it looks like crap <laughs> yeah it looks like dog shit it looks like reno nevada however the human and klingon ambassadors saint john talbot and general cord respectively are much more jaded and cynical and point out that it has rapidly devolved to a barren wasteland rife with corruption, gambling, sex, debauchery, humiliation, hatred, Christianity, (laughs) atheism, (laughs) butt stuff, subordination, domination, and T.J. Hooker. <laughs> Talbot point- That's what was playing on the TV. That was, yeah. And yeah. so also in the bar here, they have a fucking, like, just a CRT monitor, like, yeah. playing something. Uh, Talbot points out um, that they had forbade weapons on the planet, but the settlers began to fashion their own projectile weapons, a la Shinzo Abe. And he yeah. actually says Shinzo Abe. Yeah, they were called Shinzos. They did refer which, to them as Shinzos. Which is really weird, because this movie was made, like, 35 years before... Shinzo Abe was murked with one of those weapons. So, what did they know? It, well, it, it does life imitate art, mm. or does art imitate life? Is what I'm saying. Mm. Like, so I think I think what I'm saying here is pro- probably the guy who killed Shinzo Abe, huge tracky. Oh yeah. And you know what? Even if he's not, kind of like in <laughs> how the Mormons do, he isn't now an honorary trekkie to me. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he's invited into trekkie dumb. Oh yeah. No. Is he dead? Did he die or is he in prison? I think he's, he's in, in prison. prison? Oh. Yeah. God. Japanese. They just treat everyone like he white made some, people. He, yeah. he made some other wild ass guns too. He did. He made like a 10 barrel shotgun and shit. He I know. That cool. was like so awesome. I was like. Yeah. This is the fucking like God of the Wasteland, dude. Yeah. He would have uh, been. If they put him. so cool in Paradise City, dude. <laughs> he he would have been the ruler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he would have. No, Cybok would have tried to. He'd be like, show me your pain. He's like. No, I got something cooler. Check this gun out. Like, oh, you want to see my pain? How about I show you yours? He <laughs> <laughs> just blows him away. <laughs> my pain was named Abe. It's gone now. Shinzo Abe. Uh, <laughs> God. Um, Do they remake it? <laughs> yeah. It was, it's, Star Trek Five. We've got some ideas. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Cord in particular is a decorated and respected Klingon general who fell out of favor with a Klingon High Council command and has become a bitter, athapetic, 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 
apathetic drunk. Apathetic, yeah. <laughs> yeah there <you> go. <laughs> uh, their meeting is interrupted by an alarm when the city compound is overrun by fanatical followers of the Vulcan it showed in the beginning of the film, who informs the ambassadors that they are now his hostages. Kathleen Da'ar, the Romulan, defiantly tells the Vulcan that she doesn't know who he is or what he wants, but assures him that their three respective governments will stop at nothing to ensure their safety. The Vulcan retorts, that's exactly what I'm counting on. And I gotta say, Lawrence Luckinbill already in this film is fucking killing it. He's, oh yeah, he's very charming. He's the standout performance of this entire film. Most of the other actors do a pretty good job, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd say not as good as the previous film, almost categorically, except Scotty's really good. In this. Oh, yeah. I mean, Scotty's, Scotty's always given, super fun. Scotty's given more to do. Yeah, and Hura. Been... Hura and Scotty are given a little more to do in this film, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, although Scotty is still, all he's doing is engineering, and that's all he ever does. He does have a little fun. bit of a diehard moment. And also, this is almost kind of like a diehard plot mm-hmm. where you know how like they, they do – uh, there's an they they pretend to be doing another crime to mask another crime. That's true. And so yeah, he's to like, mask another crime, which yeah. the ultimate crime is uh, letting Shatner direct the film. <laughs> the biggest crime of all. We have no we we, we are not fit to be your judges. Oh. We don't have a we don't have a law to fit your crime. Or <laughs> that's, that's, that's <laughs> we don't punish. <laughs> um, sitting in an Earth space dock. Undergoing repairs and refits, the new USS Enterprise A sits lifelessly under the care of Chief Engineer Montgomery Scott, Scotty himself, who notes in the Shakedown Crews report that the new Enterprise must have been the product of a team of monkeys. <laughs> because, which is like, he means in the racist way. <laughs> Um, while the warp drive, the binars, yeah, the the binars, only half of them, (laughs) only the half, (laughs) uh, while the warp drive is up to Scott's exacting standards, he laments that half of the doors on the ship won't open and that it's his responsibility to repair each and every one of them among other disabled systems on board the ship. Primary of which is the ship's transporter, which why would they let a ship out of dock without the fucking transporter? It's, it's, yeah, it's just like uh, that's going to cause so many problems. Yeah, it's just like the motion picture where the transporter is broken. But also, it starts like every single Star Trek film has started with the, the Enterprise being fucked up. Mm-hmm. That's very like, true. No crew. And then like ha- they have to they have to respond to some conflict. Like it, uh, it's imperative that they alone. Yeah. Even they, with their fucked up. Under understaffed ship, they have to go. <laughs> yeah. So as Scotty repairs the helm and navigation console on the main bridge, he says the phrase "Borgus Frat." Borgus Frat. 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 He says the phrase Borgus Frat. Hmm. Which is my new favorite <laughs> curse word, I think. <laughs> I think he's cursing something. It's, it's, it's one of those Scottish words. Uh, maybe. Hmm. I think it's probably one of those. Like, well, I mean, you know, we know Scotty actually made up the, the Klingon and Vulcan languages. Basically. He did. And so... Maybe it's one of those. Maybe it's uh, something. Maybe it's something we don't even know. Um, it's but regardless, it's my new favorite curse word. When suddenly, 
Noyota Uhura arrives from a turbo lift with his dinner. Mm. And um, understanding that the extensive repair schedule will cancel their shared plans for shore leave, which insinuates, and it insinuates it further in the film, these two are fucking. Hells yeah. Which is such a crazy move to me, and I kind of love it. Yeah, I can see it. I mean, I think I think Scotty is one of the like the few decent guys on the ship. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scotty probably lays some pipe. Or, I bet he does lay some pipe. Even if he doesn't lay pipe, like he knows how to make things. Yeah, you know, he's he's an engineer. He, he you know, she's she's seen him play the bagpipes. You know what that mouth does. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. He can, he can hold his <laughs> breath for for three minutes, baby. Oh my god! While he's sticking his head right up that pussy. You know, good for them. Yeah, right? Good. I would have liked that to be explored. I would have liked that to be explored more. I'd like them to explore each other's bodies more. Yeah, on camera. Hell yeah. <laughs> Explicitly. Explicitly. And his hand's already in the shocker mode. Yeah, can you imagine <laughs> what they do together on vacation besides just raw? Yeah. Just raw. Like, Scotty's not the type to go on vacation unless he's going to, like, an engineering museum. No. Like, you know, all he does is drink, engineer, and raw dog. Mm-hmm. Raw. It, oh, would they, instead of like calling it laying pipe, would they call it laying Jeffrey's tube? Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> he lays he lays some Jeffrey's tube. Oh, yeah. He, he lays the entire ship full of Jeffrey's tube, baby. <laughs> He's, his Jeffrey tube is so fat you can climb inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hide he, from... he calls it the haggis. <laughs> the USS haggis. <laughs> USS haggis. Are you ready for the USS haggis, haggis lassie? The USS haggis D. <laughs> um, so at that moment, the Enterprise's mangled red alert system uh, goes off, and Scotty thinks it's a malfunction, saying, oh, I just fixed that. But a voice from Starfleet announces to Scotty and Ahura that they have a priority seven situation at the neutral zone. What do you think priority seven is? Uh, it's when uh, diplomats are taken hostage. Oh, is it? <laughs> by, Specifically? By, by, by a uh, tele- televangelist. Oh, yeah, by a televangelist. <laughs> they're just like, they're thinking of all the crazy situations yeah. that can happen. They're like, all right, six. Uh, kidnapped by jungle people. <laughs> yeah. What's there's, mm, just a dart, there's just a dartboard. And they're just like throwing it. What's number seven? Um <laughs> So Scotty's incredulous that Starfleet would assign the mission to the Enterprise, considering the ship is still currently in pieces. That's what happens, man. Uh Uh-huh. And has less than a skeleton crew aboard, really just like the seven people of Star Trek. Yeah. Which is always. Always. (laughs) That's the, you know, either they're stealing it so they can have to get by that way, or Mm -hmm. now they're just, uh, you know, doing the shakedown on the ship. So, oopsie, same exact crew as the last 10 years. That that was in the neutral zone, right? It was in the neutral zone. And they're at at Earth. They're at Earth. Space dock, yes. So that is a far, how far is that? That's far. Correct. So there's no other ships between the neutral zone and Earth that can respond to this conflict. Maybe there are, but they're just like, um, all of these other ships are helmed by people we respect. Oh, you know what? Send fucking Kirk. He's a piece of shit, and I'd love to see him die. Um, I, you know, I think that's what they're doing at this point. That's why they, they fucking, they demoted him, and mm. he took it as a compliment? 
Yeah. Like, that's what happened in the last film is they're like, well, you can take the ship. Cause... It's like, hey, I live in your guy's head rent free. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, go by. Have fun with this fucked up ship, idiot. Yeah. And then so then we won't let you do administrative work because you're fucking incompetent. Guy. And it seems like they like uh, it seems like they weren't that wild about uh, St. John Talbot in the first place. If they didn't bring any ships, any ships in orbit to monitor him. No, uh, there was. He didn't. They didn't send any security officers with him to protect him. No. Nope. So there, there's literally he, what? What ship did he come in? What ship did they? That's a great question. Because, because yeah, like, yeah. Why didn't they take one of the ambassador ships? Yeah. Because there's three ambassadors there from three different empires. They had to get there somehow. They yeah, how they get there? Beamed there. Like, were and were, yeah, were they beamed there from orbit? Were there ships in orbit? Like, what? And so what? Why couldn't they be if they, and that would have made more sense because if if they're diplomats in a in a dangerous area, you would probably want like a ship on in orbit monitoring them to beam them out at any sign of trouble. Yeah. And also like they have diplomatic ships. Yeah. Like literally they send like ships to do this, like do escort missions for diplomats. Like they do it on TNG and shit all yeah. the time. Like they yeah. should have, you know, probably like a uh, I don't know what it is at this point. Probably like a, a Constitution class ship yeah. taking them there. So yeah, did they did they all just walk to fucking Nimbus Three? Is that yeah, they, they did. They, <laughs> they just, walked to Paradise just, City. Well, they were they, they were walked all, to Paradise City. They were all in Reno, or sorry, they're all in Vegas, <laughs> and so they're like, yeah, we can make it to Reno. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, just, they just walked the desert. Took like one of those like uh took like a like a uni wheel or something. One of those <laughs> little things is like like zipping through the desert. But yeah, like that doesn't make any sense. Like. There's literally no other ships. They there's no ships in That's orbit. A great modern. point. Yeah, and like the Romulan lady came in on a horse. Why did she come <laughs> in town on a fucking horse? And you're telling me the Romulans wouldn't have like some sort of like like are are, are the three of them stationed on the planet? Is that their thing? Because it's supposed yeah. to be the planet of peace. Uh, I guess maybe they were stationed there. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Maybe they were. Cause yeah, I did get a sense. Like cause, yeah, Cord was. Um, yeah, was like distance from the empire. Yeah, that. and he—that's kind of like it was his like, um, and they all did look kind of fucked up. Like Saint John Talbot's like sweaty, sweat and five o'clock shadow, and oh yeah, just looks like shit. It does looks terrible. Yeah. Um. So, her asked Starfleet if they are aware of the Enterprise's current status. Starfleet acknowledges and tells Ahura to stand by to copy operational orders and recall all key personnel. Why? Why are they doing this to Enterprise? Like they're sending them, like to die. Like yeah, that's what I guess understaffed what on a shitty ship, whose only functioning system is its warp drive. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So, Ahura contacts uh, Hikaru Sulu and Pavel Chekov, who are lost hiking in the woods together. Chekov is grateful. That it didn't the- seem like they were with. The other three. I don't think so. They weren't camping with them at night. No, but I think they were in Yosemite still. So they were just like off on their own, like, you know, doing gay stuff together. Doing Brackback Mountain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) What do you think they call that in Russia? Mm, I don't even know any kind of Russian ridges or mountains. Ridges. Yeah. Well, you know, know, Brokeback Mountain. So what would be the mountain? What's a, what's a mountain in? So it was a mountain in Russia. Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. 
Uh, Chekhov is grateful that they'll soon be rescued from being lost. How do you get lost with Starfleet technology on Earth? How yeah. the fuck do you get lost on Earth? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you, they literally have like a computer in their pockets. Like this, right. like you know, this guy like getting and it's not even getting lost like with a cell phone. It's even better than a cell phone because they get reception anywhere, even in the deep, um, deep forest. Right. So it's like they could just navigate their way out. Yeah, they yeah. could. They could or teleport out. They can't teleport oh. out. Remember the teleporter's um, broken. Oh, that's right. Although, like. There's no teleporters elsewhere on Earth they could utilize somehow? No, it's not. All right. Oh, also I forgot to mention, yep. um, for St. John Talbot, they actually invented e-cigarettes. What do you mean? Uh, I guess they spent thousands of dollars on a self-lighting cigarette that uh, St. John Talbot was going to be smoking, but then it didn't end up getting put in the final product. They, didn't, they, didn't, they forgot to, I guess Shatner forgot to film a scene with it. That's but this, cool. But this, like, e-cigarette, like, prototype... Um, Spit was cost thousands of dollars to make, and yeah, just forgot it. <laughs> That's sick as hell. So yeah. fucking thank you for vaping Star Trek Five. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's one of those things that they inadvertently invent. I guess mm. that's cool. It's like NASA accidentally made Tang. Fucking Star Trek Five accidentally mm. made vaping. Hell's yeah, hell yeah, vape kings. Baby. <laughs> We'd be blowing fat clouds thanks to Willie Shatz. Willie Shatz. Willie Shatz the bed on Star Trek Five. God, that would that would have been amazing jazz name for him willie shatz yeah willie shatz yeah so uh, sulu and Chekhov <laughs> try to explain to her that they're caught in a blizzard and can't see which way they're going Ahura, monitoring the weather the weather on the sensors reads nothing but sunny skies and 70 degree fahrenheit weather and assures them she won't tell anyone about their embarrassing situation as she sends a shuttlecraft to pick them up which seems like a bad idea with the trees Whatever. Yeah. Well, uh, they, they end up landing it in the trees. Yeah. The trees. Uh, Sulu says he owes her one, which he never ends up repaying. That son of a bitch. <sighs> right. Meanwhile, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are sitting around the campfire at Yosemite, where the three discuss their time together and philosophize about life and death around a pot of baked beans. <laughs> Bones and uh, Kirk discuss if Spock's digestive system can handle whiskey and beans. And uh, it's revealed that the secret ingredient to the beans is whiskey. Mm. And Kirk's like, uh, hey, can I get some of that secret ingredient? And then gets fucking plowed <laughs> and starts saying racist stuff to Spock along with Bones. <laughs> you know what your problem is. You know what you're all. Then they end up hate criming him. Um yeah, uh, Vulcan lives matter. By yeah. the way, um, McCoy and uh, Kirk wonder if Spock's Vulcan digestive system can handle the fucking. Uh, they they say it's explosive whiskey and beans, an explosive combination. Talking yeah. about, of course, farting, sh- shitting poop out of your asshole. Yeah, so that's another thing that, you know, besides e-cigarettes, they invented farting in this movie. Well, they invented sharding, I think. Oh, Expl- sharding. Explosive <laughs> diarrhea. And so... Um, I do like how they're trying to recreate those, like, you know, those experiences, you know, from the past, you know, sharding your pants from eating too much beans. Yeah. 
A classic boyhood experience, classic sitting around the campfire, just, shitting your pants. <laughs> Waking up. Because your dad spiked the beans. Waking up in the middle of the night, burying your underwear in the woods somewhere. <laughs> I remember when my stepdad got me drunk on beans and I shat my pants in a sleeping bag. <laughs> Yay, good old scout camp. Uh, you know, these are these are the moments in time that we have to... These are the voyages. <laughs> Where no man has gone before inside of a sleeping bag in a tent. <laughs> well, I guess every man. Has yeah, gone. <laughs> every every boy named me. Every boy named no. Oh, um. So uh, then McCoy says a Vulcan digestive system could handle a bowl of termites, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, it's like a weird thing to eat. Like live, will they just wall them whole, and so they're still alive? And yeah. Um, McCoy says the others could really drive a man to drink, which is a weird, mean thing to say to your friends out of nowhere. And then he admonishes <laughs> Kirk for risking his life on crazy stunts, such as falling off El Capitan earlier in the day, which he should be admonished for because he's a man who wears a wig who's trying to, you know, do the most, uh, the craziest hiking thing of all time. Yeah, that's, that's, insa- that's insane to me, but... Yeah. Somehow lived. Yeah, now, he's not even phased about that. The fact that he almost face planted off yeah. of a mountain. What a what a dumbass. Like I like I don't think I'd be able to sleep. I'd be freaking out. Yeah, right. <laughs> so McCoy wonders if it crossed Kirk's mind that he should have died when he fell off the mountain. Kirk admits it did, but even as he fell, he knew he wouldn't die because Spock and Bones were with him. Mm-hmm. Spock doesn't understand. To which Kirk responds which i think is maybe the dumbest line i've ever heard i've always known oh die alone which is actually wrong yeah i mean he died yeah he, he dies did. in the presence of picard yeah so fuck you kirk. you fucking idiot <laughs> after kirk's revelation um mccoy offers that the three of them spend so much time together in space getting on each other's nerves yet spend their shore leave together yeah weird it is very weird i would not spend any time with my boss <laughs> at any job ever yeah and like that and he does bring up the fact that none of them have family yeah which is really strange uh because they don't yeah um but do any of the Especially other crew exp- have families i don't I mean really sulu know. yeah i mean like sulu ends up having like a daughter oh he that, must he must have adopted yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, because they, it doesn't show him. I, I got a surrogate. <laughs> she took my sperm. First time I've ever came in a woman. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, none of them have. Yeah, they're all like 60 years old. Never. None of them seem to have a wife or husband or. Anything. Yeah, Sulu, because I don't think Sulu has a kid at this point. So he must no. have fucking robbed someone when he was like a 65 year old gay man. <laughs> just like. Well, I think in, 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 um, in a. Star Trek uh, and the Kelvin universe ones, like Star Trek Beyond, like it shows uh, Sulu with a husband. That's true. He is gay yeah. in that one. They mm-hmm. they were just like, well, the character who played him is gay. So <laughs> I did hear like uh, Takai didn't like that. Yeah, because it was shoehorned in and very yeah. like neoliberal. Oh, the representation because K is gay so <laughs> it was just like dumb as fuck especially since yeah. like Zachary have, Quinto I, who is Spock 
is gay, they could have made him gay. That would have been cool. Yeah. Then he would have been just proper representation. I mean, they kind of already are. I think Jonathan I mean, Cho I guess that isn't is gay, right? That is the family dynamic. Yeah, the, oh. the family dynamic between Kirk and Spock. Like, they're obviously longtime partners. Mm-hmm. You know, they but they, call, they call themselves roommates. Oh yeah, they are they are fucking lemon party all the way. Yeah, they're just like, oh, they're we're so roommates. Lemon partying. Yeah. But then you go and visit. We oh, we just uh, share the same quarters on the ship. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you go and like, there's only one bed in the in here. <laughs> <laughs> we're just three men that hang around in uh, silk bathrobes together. <laughs> it's start looking at the photos on the wall, and it's just them hugging from behind. <laughs> It's like, huh. They're giving each other foot rubs. <laughs> yeah, giving each other foot rubs. I, guess. I I want that for them. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> um, so Spock has what seems to be a portable replicator, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. And he makes a marshmallow, uh, which... Uh, I, thought, he, I thought that was a container that just had marshmallows in it. Well, it like electronically pushes it out or something. I think <laughs> it's a portable replicator. I'm not sure. It's it's a very like I, I always it's like, useless whatever it is like he could have oh, just yeah. brought marshmallows that would have been instead it had a to much be in, better in, idea in a, in a future it had to be in a future case right that, that popped him out like oh this is uh, my marshmallow case I got from Sharper Image I wonder if there was some sort of product tie in with oh I bet there was I bet they sold those things like the mush the marsh the marsh or the marshmallow uh, keeper mash yeah. <laughs> um. If if not, I want one. <laughs> Give me. Like, that would just be, like, one of the, yeah, you know, they always make fun I, of useless catching one. gadgets. I want one to use as a flashlight. <laughs> that, you know, that was for later. I want a sound with a marshmallow. After you're sitting in Stick your sleep. in my dick hole. Sleeping in your sleeping bag with shitty pants. And then <laughs> you start using the marshmallow uh, flashlight. Whoa, whoa, buddy. This is a tool concert you're describing here. <laughs> this isn't our tool podcast, all right? Save that for getting ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You're not even on that show. I'm not. Um, they, well, you got, but feel, feel free to use it on there. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so uh, they uh, talk about singable songs around the campfire um, and end up uh, – choosing to sing row 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 your boat together but spock doesn't get it and doesn't really understand how to sing it bones calls him a slur and <laughs> no, i'm not kidding he calls him a slur and says he liked him better before he was dead which is fucked up yeah that is the like that is the craziest she's like oh you yellow bl- or green blooded vulcan uh, i liked you better before you were dead which is yeah. like a slur followed by i liked you better before you were dead, yeah. like Bones, Bones is obviously Bones is a going. Dickhead. Bones has got going through it. Like he there's is. something happening, oh, he's, but that's well, never addressed. Well, he's 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 uh, doing a Kevin Spacey here, like mm. addressing his cancellation by coming out as a gay man, mm. which is why he's wearing a silk a silk paisley scarf mm-hmm. that is tied around his neck the almost the entire film. Which you know, oh, I the like first it. half of the film. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he's also wearing like this jean jacket that's like shearling interior mm-hmm. and it's like and his coke ring on the pinky oh, that yeah. he always has like he's definitely like coming out at a late age here he's coming out as an old queen in this film and i am all here yeah for good it. for him yeah good for queen bones yeah you get it girl i also feel like you know i feel probably in the future sexuality is very fluid where it's just oh, like 100%, there's yeah. there is no clear definitions you know yeah you just be i mean no one wants. no one's quite like Riker. But, you know, no, no, Riker, Riker is like the blue. Riker defies the Kinsey <laughs> yeah. scale. He he looks at the Kinsey scale and goes, "Ha!" <laughs> like we shall see. It's like he's just like he's just like with he's, he still has his Q powers and with like with a swipe of his hand it all disappears. <laughs> <laughs> 
He uh, looks at the Kinsey scale. He's like, uh, one through six, huh? Looks at a die. Six on here, too, huh? <laughs> Picks up a die, D20. <laughs> oh! <laughs> How about that? Um, so, uh, th- this this scene... Oh, and then, then they all go to bed together after fucking Bones calls Spock a slur. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this scene is useless. Yeah. And it is dumb. Yeah. And it is one of my favorite scenes in the entirety of the Star <laughs> Trek universe. Yeah, I mean, we had lots of useless things. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, it is, the marshmallow depositor. Yeah, it's, it's quite literally camp. Yeah. And it's also, like, figuratively camp as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I love it. Mm-hmm. And it is dumb. Yeah, it, it's the first time they talk about like shitting your pants. I think in all of Star Trek, and also <laughs> this is the first Star Trek movie and one of the only pieces of Star Trek media altogether that shows a toilet. Does it? it oh, in the in the in the jail cell. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It says, yeah. It says do not use while in space time. Well, it, I mean that's not true. It also shows them having the toilet. You know, when it shows their pants because they're obviously sharding the, their pants. And and shows their sleeping bags, which they shard. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so, so if you consider a sleeping bag, you're taking a shit in a toilet, Pat. I mean, that's that's more of you a know, you thing every, than a universal any, statement any, you're making. Anything's a toilet, right? <laughs> really. So, like right now, my shorts, my toilet. shorts, a toilet. Right now, but that's what they're the chair, your chair, <laughs> toilet. toilet. Oops, I'm gonna use that. You know that that uh. That those mint containers over there. <laughs> oh, the, my gum, my yeah, clips gum. Yeah, yeah. Well, good luck. <laughs> I've already tried. Uh, so, out in space, the long lost Earth probe Pioneer Ten, yeah. uh, with um, you know the one with like the Beatles album on it and shit, mm-hmm. and the Chuck Berry song, uh, and the Chuck Speaking Berry vi- Ch- oh and the Chuck Berry video of uh, <laughs> him of farting in a uh, <laughs> farting in a prostitute's face and go. That's a fart right there. <laughs> you, ever, you ever seen that one? It's pretty good. I have not. Oh, it's really good. It's available online. Just Is it? Check out, uh, like, uh, yeah, like Chuck Berry fart prostitute. You'll you'll find it immediately. You know what? I don't think I will. You know what? You're a fucking <laughs> coward, Pat. You don't belong here. I feel like I feel like I've already lost so much of my soul to things on the internet. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I have nothing else to give. Only the brave. I wouldn't Only fe- the like brave. it. Wouldn't make me feel anything. Any either way, I'd just be like, yep, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Just for the further poisoning of my soul. So Pioneer 10 <laughs> is intercepted by a Klingon bird of prey commanded by a young Klingon warrior named Claw, who apparently yeah. was like a stunt coordinator on TJ Hooker with um, William Shatner. And so he recommended him for the job. He looks fucking awesome. I think there he, should he be. He does. I he's think... he's like the only gay Klingon. <laughs> yeah. Like he is fabulous. He's wearing a bunch of makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, he's dressed like he's dressed like. Um, uh, Judas Priest. Mm, yeah, he kind of is. He, yeah, yeah, he, he definitely. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. Um. So, uh, the Klingon bird of prey easily vaporizes the probe with its disruptors. N- which, not easily. I mean, yeah, it takes him like four shots <laughs> yeah. to hit this fucking like 300 year old piece of space junk from Earth, and they all celebrate. It's just like, what does that celebrate for? It. Yeah. What did, What did you really do there? Did you Did you accomplish anything? No. Um, yeah, they're they're kind of like I don't know. They're mostly incompetent Klingons for the most of this movie. Yeah, unfortunately, because they it's it's sad because they look the coolest. They do, they like, do, and also uh, his uh, his fucking claws, um, Vixis, the right hand woman, mm-hmm. is like this 
badass lipstick lesbian like but like muscle lipstick mm-hmm. bitch and she's like yeah she is ready to honestly so these characters are they're team rocket but they're clean yeah. mm-hmm. and and they're perfect yeah yeah they're they're so cool they but really need more bodybuilders as klingons they like, do they use uh i'm surprised they don't have more like wrestlers as klingons they use tommy tiny lister in enterprise they did they did yeah. didn't he uh yeah who was also in the friday movies yes. and uh, some other things oh he was uh, the Thor- president in fifth element <laughs> he w- was he yeah i didn't remember that uh and he was also um oh fucking uh thor in the fucking wrestling movie with um mm. Oh yeah, with with Hulk Hogan. Uh, no, 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 no holds barred. No holds barred. Yeah, so good. Fucking love yeah, that shit. yeah. He fucking rules. Yeah. So the effects here from the disruptor, the Klingon disruptor, look stop motion, but apparently they're all live shots, which is wild to me. It looks yeah. like so much like stop motion. Yeah, which is like kind of just um, says a lot about the special effects production of this film. Like everything that's meant to be something looks like something else, and it doesn't look good. Yeah, for the most part, like it could look so much better. Um, so Claw tires of shooting space garbage as he believes it is no test of a warrior's medal, and he's right, and wishes for a target that would fight back. The Klingons are soon notified about the hostage situation on Nimbus 3 as well, which piques Claw's interests, as it is obvious that the Federation will send a ship of their own to deal with the situation and sets its course for Nimbus 3. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy's leave is interrupted when Ahura takes the Galileo transport ship down to the campsite in Yosemite since the Enterprise's transporters are inoperative, waking up all three men with the Galileo's bright landing lights. She informs Kirk of important orders from Starfleet Command. Also, why is only a transport named Galileo? Yeah. That should be like a good ship. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Kirk wonders why she didn't contact him via his communicator, but she notes he conveniently forgot it. They get on the Galileo and Kirk quotes a book. Bone says it's Melville, but Spock corrects him, which I hate when they do in Star Trek. Like when they, it always kind of takes me out of it when they talk about like old books and shit. I'm like, yeah, no, like they're not that fedora pilled. There's no way they know that shit. Oh yeah, I mean they're just trying to show off, and it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, don't break your arm jerking yourself off. You know? <laughs> oh, I know Melville. Yeah. Oh wow, cool. You read, yeah, Big oh, deal. great. You read old books. You're on a fucking starship, <laughs> and you're wasting your time reading about boats. Yeah, nerd, you fucking toofus ass bitch. You got rocket boots, and you oh, yeah. spit, and you're reading. Yeah, you you watch uh you watch fucking uh Big Bang Theory as well. <laughs> Bazinga, <laughs> fucking dork ass bitch. Uh, Bones then asks if Spock is well versed in the classics. Why doesn't he know row 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 your boat? And he says it with crazy indignation. And also, here's where I know. I mean, he's drunk. Yeah, I, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. I think. I think. Like Bones is like drunk throughout all of these films, basically. Yeah. That's definitely something like some old old timer at the bar would say to you. Like he's trying to look for a fight. He's like, you don't even know, row, row, row. You <laughs> and you just get it in your face. <laughs> you're like, well, okay, man. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to enjoy my drink, dude. I don't want any trouble. Sing fucking row, row, row your boat, motherfucker. <laughs> You don't belong in the VFW. <laughs> yeah. Where were you in Afghanistan? Yeah. Pussy. Where did you serve? <laughs> I'm just looking for a place to drink, man. I didn't know it was a VFW. 
so the Galileo eventually arrives in the Enterprise's shuttle bay, and the problems with the starship are immediately obvious to Kirk as the turbo lift malfunctions en route to the bridge. A console shorts out, and the view screen barely works. As Kirk puts on his captain's jacket, he has a t-shirt that says, Go climb a rock. <laughs> which has got to be the first graphic tee in Star Trek. Yeah. And it's a bad one. <laughs> uh, it's like he bought it at the, like, like uh, El Capitan has, like, a, <laughs> uh, like a gift shop. Yeah, right. <laughs> he bought it there. There's, it's like, uh, that'll be uh, 400 credits. Is that a lot? <laughs> um, Chief of Starfleet Operations Fleet Admiral Bob eventually comes through and orders Kirk to Nimbus 3 and assesses the hostage situation. Kirk tries to decline the mission due to the problems plaguing the ship, as he should, Yeah, and suggests another vessel nearby handle the situation. The Admiral refuses on the grounds that while there may be other ships out there, None of their captains are as experienced as Jim Kirk. What? Yeah, that that's obviously such a bullshit answer. It like, is. oh yeah, no one else is as experienced as you, Kirk. Only you can do the job, Kirk. You're the only man for the job. Because <laughs> they probably assumed it would just be like a bullshit no, like no, not like nothing mission. They're just like, yeah, just go rescue these three guys. Whatever you can teleport them off the surface of the planet. It's easy, mm-hmm. easy, easy thing for this asshole to do. <laughs> and rightfully, Kirk dismisses this with an "oh please" dismissal on his lips. Kirk signs off and orders the Enterprise to set a course to Nimbus Three, the planet of peace. Yeah, and uh, the woman that gives him like the orders and stuff. This is is his daughter, Melanie Shatner. Yeah, unfortunately, his jacket. I don't stuff. think anyone actually signs anything in this film. I think he tries to. She gives him the thing, and oh. he just like closes it. And wow! So he didn't get so didn't get a sign. Or I think I did see his name signature on there. Oh no! Damn. Back with the Klingons, Claw and his crew discovered that the Enterprise has been dispatched to Nimbus Three as well. Claw is well familiar with the Enterprise being Kirk's vessel, and wonders what defeating Kirk in battle would do for his reputation. How does he know this when Kirk just got command of the Enterprise back? I mean, he probably knows. You know, it's like it's it's the Kirk ship. It's just kind of sad that they see Kirk as like a major adversary to take out in battle, gloriously, because like he's just like because <laughs> you look at him, he's just like sixty year old man. Yeah, who's <laughs> falling off mountains and shit. That's popping out of his out of his out of his uh out of his uniform and it's just like, okay, so this is like this is like the uh, this this honorable adversary, this this muscular massive clean eyes <laughs> to take out. <laughs> Sometimes the greatest enemy wears a wig. Yeah. <laughs> That's how powerful he is. It's like the boy named Sue. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Claw's first officer, Vixus, marvels that destroying the Enterprise and defeating Kirk would make Claw the greatest warrior in the galaxy. Claw, originally hoping for an engagement with just any Federation ship, is now elated at his chance to fight the Kirk and the Enterprise and orders maximum motherfucking speed, baby. Hells yeah. Back on the Enterprise. So plagued with technical problems that Kirk can't even record an entry in the captain's log recorder, which is like this ancient metal folder. Oh, yeah. That's the thing that I think had a signature in it. Oh, no, I don't think so. Oh, maybe Well, not. it had like a metal thing, like yeah. a signature in the like the inside door, but it also mm. had like instructions. So yeah. It was like inscribed. Yeah. Um, 
I could have sworn uh, that they just spoke their logs into the computer, right? Yeah. That's what they always did, I thought, but whatever. Um, The Enterprise finally receives a copy of the hostage tape sent from Nimbus 3. It is uh, noted that Kord is there, and Kirk mentions how he used to be an exalted Klingon general, and uh, they had to uh, learn his battle techniques in Starfleet but apparently has fallen out of favor with the High Council and is thus stationed on Nimbus 3. Okay, so they are stationed there. Uh, They don't have... Kirk says when he gets put out to pasture, he hopes he fares better than Kord. I hope he doesn't. I mean, they tried putting him out to pasture multiple times. Oh, they did. They're like, fucking be an admiral and like basically take your desk retirement. He's like... No, I have to save shit and blow things up. Even this is kind of like sending him out to pasture type. Yeah, type, like, Aaron, type Aaron. Can you he know? die? Maybe. Yeah, I hope he like, dies. Find God. It's a you know. It's a. I hope he quote unquote finds God. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a ship full of sixty year olds. <laughs> it's like you know they're not going to send them only in, sixty year olds. Only sixty year olds. So it's like, why would they send them into like major battles? Like they should just be like on Riza, just like chilling. Yeah, just like pleasure planet Riza, baby. Yeah, just like enjoying the sun, relaxing. Like they shouldn't be doing this. Sucking, sucking four Klingon dicks at once, so two Klingons. Shit, yeah. Um. <laughs> so in the tape, Dar, Talbot, and Korid plead with the Federation to send a starship to negotiate for their release at once, per the instructions of the leader of the Galactic Army of Light, which is a sick name. Yeah, I uh, hope to utilize that name someday (laughs) hell yeah uh the vulcan who enters the frame and begins addressing the federation he claims to regret his desperate act and has no desire to harm the hostages but will do so if the federation does not respond immediately so you know non-violent for the most part yeah and i don't think he would have even harmed them so there's that too spock taken immediately with a vulcan calls up a freeze frame of him on his science station's monitor, which is an old shitty CRT, and regards it intently. Kirk wonders if Spock is familiar with him. Spock says perhaps. Later, Spock is in solitude in the Enterprise's observation lounge when Kirk and McCoy join him. Spock recounts for Kirk and McCoy a brief history of Cybok, a gifted Vulcan who at a young age broke with tradition and decided that emotion, not logic, was the key to self-knowledge. By self, he means knowledge in the biblical sense. and self-knowledge, mm. he means masturbating. <laughs> so emotion, not logic, is definitely the key to masturbating. I would not disagree. Yeah. And, and so, also when they usually say, yeah, in the biblical sense, you know, you mean like fucking. Yeah, definitely. So he's self-fucking. Yeah. And so, you know, he's, he's jerking off. So I mean, we've seen... He's the Chris... only Vulcan who jerks off, I think, is his key. And that's why he's so fucking chill compared to all the other Vulcans. We have seen in Strange New Worlds, like, you know, he fucks so good, like, his uh, girlfriend, mm-hmm. she's ready to take over the fucking Enterprise. Uh, they are non-binary on the show. Oh, non-binary. I'm sorry. Angel, Angel is a non-binary. Oh, uh, yeah. They, they well, are a- going... A- actress, she, her. Mm. Character, they, them. Oh, I apologize. No, it's, it's no need to apologize. You're doing your best. <laughs> I'm doing my best. You're doing your best. You but didn't still, know. It's, it's something, yeah. He fucks so good, they are willing to take over the Enterprise. Yeah, you, they're willing to them. steal the fucking Enterprise. Yeah. They steal the Enterprise twice, which is great when mm-hmm. you think about it. This is a power couple. They're the only couple to ever steal the Enterprise 
mutually, exclusively. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Right? That's so fucking sick, right? Mm. That rules. That is yeah. a power couple as fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hope to they see. Have, they have a lot in common. Yeah. We love that <laughs> shit. Um, according to Spock, Cybok was banished from Vulcan when he attempted to lure other Vulcans to his worldview, which is like, that's not tolerant at all. Like, they literally put him into Exodus because, yeah. like, you know, he was trying to convince them that their ways weren't right, which is, you know, they put him in exile for freedom of expression, which doesn't seem very, like, enlightened, like the Vulcans are supposed to be, right? Yeah, I mean, they've, like, uh, you know, they've had, you know, like, uh, they're always been seen as, like, uh, as uh, exiles in their, in their uh, society, like the ones that go against the teachings of Serac and, and, and reject logic for emotion. Sounds like fucking bullshit to me. I don't know about <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty fucked up. I mean, they should have like you know, we give planets to all the other people who want to live outside of the Federation. Why not like just give planets to, to like the Vulcans who want to live emo- with emotions, right? You give you give one to the Irish. You give one to the Irish. Jesus. You know, the Scottish sex ghosts. Ooh. Oh yeah, I mean, well, they deserve that. I mean, they, yeah, they fuck Crusher good. They give they did. Crusher that. Fucking, they did. Uh, they but, give her the bagpipe, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so yeah, it's like they're so all these planets they can't give like the Vulcan the Vul- the emotional Vul- Vulcans one. Yeah, it's fucked. Up. Oh, well, they 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 do. It's called uh, Romulan. <laughs> yeah, Romulus. Romulus. Yeah, um, and, and then, then Remus. Remus. Yeah, and then maybe Rom. The Ram. They mm. weren't sure there was some some. <laughs> different stuff there um the enterprise arrives first at nimbus 3 paradise city demands to know their intentions but kirk tells ahura to respond with static and make them think they are having technical difficulties which is not too far from the truth yeah kirk tries to simply beam the hostages aboard but scotty tells him the transporter is still inoperative the captain realizes they'll have to go down and take them out by force however Spock detects the Klingon bird of prey entering the area, leaving them 1.9 hours before their weapons come to bear, which is, they keep on saying come to bear in this movie. And it kind of bothers me for some reason. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. It is funny how like they had to make, make the uh, enterprise malfunction because yeah, if the transporters were working, they would transport them up and the movie would be over. That would be honestly incredible. <laughs> that would have been. And I mean, like, they would send me back. I like that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just like transport them on and like. Oh take shit! Them, <laughs> like uh, that's not. Oh fuck! Yeah, and what? Well, and oh, wait, like, how did Cybok know that they didn't have transporters? Yeah. yeah wait thinks, a second. Yeah. Oh, wait we're, a we're second. Finding some flaws in the story because Cybok would have just assumed they were going to transport them off. Exactly, and like they should have been able to transport them off unless unless he like intentionally jammed it, which he didn't. He didn't have any kind of technology to no, do I that. I mean, they had say they said they would have used them, but the transporters are broken, so they have to. Holy shit! That's, yeah, so, yeah Cybok is Cybok took a lot of like uh, Cybok thought like he was playing like eleven D chess apparently. Yeah, he thought through space time to plan this shit. <laughs> like, and they won't have transporters. I don't know how they won't though. Yeah. Fuck them. It's like kind of like you know the monkeys typing on the typewriter, and eventually they'll somehow magically type War and Peace. Like he just knows like you know there's enough randomization in the universe where you know all everything's just gonna fall into place. Hell yeah, yeah. it's it's God's will. Yeah, God's God's, will. Will. Yeah, God's plan. God's plan, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> Shut up. 
an assault team can uh, an away team an assault team away team away team assault team assault team yeah, assault, assault team, team consisting of Kirk Spock McCoy Sulu Ahura and a detail of security personnel which are like the only other people on the ship yeah I think. somehow they only had security guys on and, the and, ship oh yeah and also fucking uh, Will Shatner's daughter that's the only yeah. person left on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they hit down to Galileo in the Galileo, leaving Chekhov in command of the Enterprise. Uh, despite the primitive scanning equipment of the natives of Nimbus 3, their sensors are nevertheless effective, and it forces the Galileo to land significantly further away from the settlement than they expected. Meanwhile, Chekhov hails Paradise City from the Enterprise and poses as the ship's commanding officer, saying he is... Captain Chekhov, with the intention of distracting the enemy from Kirk and his team. The Vulcan responds and is amused by Chekhov's posturing, who orders him to release the hostages or suffer the consequences. I like how, like, somehow, like, Cybok has no idea who anyone on here is. Yeah. Even though his brother is on here, but the, the Klingon knows that this is Kirk's ship somehow. Like, it's kind of weird, right? Like yeah. he he's planned all this ahead, but has no idea who Kirk is. Or he's just, ru- he's just running on vibes mostly because he really is. He's yeah. He's just you know he's he's just like he has a positive attitude, and I mm-hmm. you know he definitely thinks you know positive thoughts out into the, he's putting those positive thoughts out in the universe and manifesting his own reality. So oh yeah, he's he's the yeah. It's the, the, uh, this is really just like showing the power of positive thinking and how it can change your life and help you take over a starship. Yeah, what's what's the fucking Oprah Book Club one? The the, 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 <laughs> the secret. The secret. There you yeah. go. This is the secret. Yeah. Yeah. He, oh man. Secrets of Cyborg, man. <laughs> Secrets of Cyborg. Oh, tell me your secrets. Yeah, and it's funny how he just you know he just he barely planned this out and then he just like succeeded. <laughs> just very well Chekhov not backing down informs the Vulcan that a Klingon vessel is on the way the Vulcan unmoved replies that it's likely that they'll be fairly angry oh, fair Chekhov tries to impress upon the Vulcan that the Klingons are likely to destroy the entire planet but the Vulcan knows that a Federation starship would not stand idly by and let the Klingons do that so he says something like uh well, I'm glad you're here to make sure that doesn't happen, which is just so coy and awesome. Mm-hmm. He's he's a really great quote unquote antagonist, which yeah. he really isn't. Like he's yeah. so cool. He's just he's so cool. He's just like uses. He's just overly nice, and that's his antagonism. Yeah, right. He's, he's just like he proves to everyone he's better than Kirk in every scene, and that's why he's the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, he then instructs Chekhov and his first officer to beam down to his coordinates. uh, Chekhov tries to stall the Vulcan as Kirk and Spock down on Nimbus three realize that they don't have enough time to get to paradise city on foot. Also that shows that he expects them to have a working transporter. Right. So I'm yeah. So like he wasn't afraid that they would have beamed the three, three people up at any point, like just be there, teleport them and then zip, zip away because they have no ships to pursue them. Uh, no, because later he orders that the transport should be near the city so they can make a, a hasty. No, but exit. I mean like the transporters, like the, the beam them up. Like yeah. he says, like beam down to my location. So it shows, oh, like, oh, that's true. So, yeah. So, so, so Cybok ha- right. is expecting them to have a working transporter. That's very true. But yeah. like, God damn but it. he's but he's not afraid. Stop, of it. <laughs> stop making this film make less sense. Okay. 
It makes no sense as Stop it is. Stop making sense, yeah. David Byrne. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the Talking Heads Star Trek cast. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> the captain notices a stable of hor- uh, Kirk notices a stable of horses through his binoculars and has Uhura perform a seductive feather dance, which is insane, but also awesome. <laughs> it is super <laughs> awesome. It's just it doesn't make any sense. Like music just starts playing out of nowhere <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the desert. Yeah, and these guys are like, yeah, okay, this is a thing that happens on this shithole planet. Like- <laughs> yeah. And she's like on the top of a fucking like sand dune with yeah. some guys right behind the sand with dune some with fronds, weapons. you know, and just dancing. She just has them in the middle of the desert. Where'd she get the fronds from? I have no idea. Man. Right? There's a lot of questions here. Yeah. Well, you know, we we like it, folks. Yep, we love we love that Ahura Feather Dance. Yeah. It's very horny. Oh, yeah. Um... So Scotty's watching from from a from a from a from a from a private feed. Oh yeah, cranking his haggis. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's uh, slapping that Jimmy John. Mm. So um, she does the feather dance to distract the Wranglers while the assault team steals the horses. The ploy works, and as the Wranglers are held at gunpoint, Ahura says, "Hello, boys." I've always wanted to play to a captive audience, which is kind of a fun line. Yeah. Um, Kirk and the assault team steal the horses and ride into Paradise City on them, looking no different than the Wranglers under the cover of night. Ja'on, with his terrible, terrible teeth, (laughs) believes them to be their lookout party and allows them access to Paradise City. However, Ja'on soon becomes suspicious as Spock locates the hostages on his tricorder. The Galactic Army of Light begins to open fire on the assault team with their primitive Shinzo Abes. (laughs) But they respond with their Starfleet issue phasers, not Shinzo Abes. Yeah. Uh, The Vulcan... Shows like, you know, Shinzo Abes, they they are unstoppable. Oh, absolutely. Shinzo Abes, two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everybody else, zero. Oh yeah, well I mean like if you have the Shinzo the spirit to do a Shinzo Abe, you can't lose. Yeah. Because you have already ideologically won the spirit. battle. Yeah. yeah. yeah Indomitable absolutely. spirit just makes like a weapon that is just like it cannot be defeated. Absolutely. <laughs> um so the Galactic Army of Light begins to open fire on the assault team with their Shinzo Abe's, but they respond with their Starfleet phasers, which is totally unfair, but whatever the Vulcan. Uh, we, oh, I think we just established the Shinzo op. They're, they're the, the phasers. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're inferior. outmatched. Exactly. That's why it's <laughs> unfair. Shinzo, That's what I'm saying. The Shinzo it's totally unfair. Yeah. Totally unfair. Uh, the Vulcan inside becomes aware of the commotion outside and Chekhov orders him to surrender at once as he's under attack by superior quote unquote Federation forces. They don't have a single Shinzo Abe, those dumb fucks. Morons. Uh, the Vulcan is incensed <laughs> as bloodshed is the very last thing he wanted. Cause he's a peaceful dude. Yeah. You know, he's, he's the Martin Luther King jr. Of Vulcans. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I got for that one. No, no disagreement there. He, okay. I guess he is the Martin Luther King jr. Of <laughs> I mean, I thought it was a dumb statement, but you're just agreeing. That's fine. Yeah, I'd be like, okay, sure. Yeah, funny, <laughs> uh, Chekhov tries to reason with the Vulcan, but he flees. Kirk, outside, fights hand-to-hand with the Galactic Army of Light's warriors as the fight continues, and it is funny. 
Yeah, he's he's throwing people like they're just made out of out of hay. Yeah, like, he's no, just like, like they're just like jumping for him and like mm-hmm. falling places, and he like hugs a guy to death. Yeah, uh, it's really yeah. And he does one strike that is six inches from a guy's face, but the guy flies uh, backwards. Oh, from he destroys big... him. It's great. Yeah, uh, Spock does a nerve pinch on a horse and it passes out. <laughs> in what, in my opinion, is the funniest moment in any Star Trek film. <laughs> hands down yeah. it is fucking hilarious that's pretty good he just like he's like good night horse this fucking <laughs> horse like dies it's so good good night horses <laughs> <laughs> yes that's perfect uh, the the army of light mounts a fucking gatling gun a shin yeah. a gatling shinzo <laughs> oh my god and uh, just starts fucking blasting um that's so cool. Yeah, it is. It's sick as hell. Uh, with a clear entrance into the bar where the hostages are being held, Kirk orders Ahura to bring the Galileo down so they can make a quick escape and goes to get the captives. Kirk fights with a Cation stripper <laughs> and he like throws her all the way across the yeah. room into a tank and this I think is he like- kills her. Yeah, he she she's face down floating in the water. Yeah, it's sick, but like, what the fuck? Dude? But he yeah, he throws her twenty feet. It yeah, looks like and he, in, just, indoors, it's nuts. Yeah, like like Kirk uh, Shatner has definitely made himself overpowered for this. Oh, a hundred percent. He's like climbing uh, El Capitan. He throws another guy early before getting inside, and then he throws a a grown woman. 20 feet a grown cat woman a grown cat woman with three titties three titties so that's the extra weight that's there extra for the weight third there titty. third tit has oh, extra yeah. weight and she has that crazy ass you know tail. tail yeah and so he throws her 20 feet and it's just like okay he's he's definitely he definitely has some sort of like grand grander vision of himself that doesn't actually exist whoa william shatner yeah. old billy shatz no. i mean there's lots of jesus references going on sooner soon but yeah yeah, yeah. so um, Kirk and Spock then go to free the hostages. However, Cord and Dar turn their weapons on him and hold Kirk and Spock hostage instead. Hmm. Outside the bar, the Galactic Army of Light has also captured the Galileo, Ahura, Sulu, McCoy, and the rest of the assault team. Yeah, nothing can beat the Shinzo Abe. Uh, definitely not. No, you can't. Yeah. You can't Shinzo and Abe. Mm-hmm. As they loudly cheer their victory, the Vulcan suddenly recognizes Spock among the group and joyfully reveals that he is, in fact, Cybok. However, Spock is not cheered by the apparent reunion and informs Cybok that he is under arrest for 17 violations of the Neutral Zone Treaty, which is like such a narc-ass cop thing to do. Yeah. It's like, okay, shut up, dude. And they, yeah, but, they, but I do like how they just laugh in his face. They're just like, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bro, do you not see that we all have a Shinzo Abe just like uh, yeah. ready to go, go off on you? Yeah, do you want to get a Spock Abe, brother? <laughs> shut the fuck up, guy. So Cybok and the others laugh at the notion uh, as they clearly have the Enterprise team outnumbered and out abe <laughs> Spock offers Cybok leniency if he surrenders, but Cybok jovially announces he can't surrender as he isn't through violating the treaty and intends for his next crime to be the theft of something very big, the Enterprise itself. Also, if you're exiled from Vulcan and no longer a citizen, can you violate Federation treaties? Yeah, I mean, sure. How? 
I mean, it's not a treaty, but a treaty is between like two entities, none of which he is a part of. So in what court are they going to try him? I guess he's still no. Right? I mean, he could still go in and fuck shut up and then be tried for a crime for it. By who? By the Klingons, the Federation? He's yeah, a Federation. citizen of neither. They can they can either have their way like decide who wants to punish him, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. I bet they'd like that. <laughs> I bet they get to like to choose who's daddy. <laughs> um who is Daddy in this film? Would you say? Uh, Daddy would be only one answer. I think Cybok. Excuse me. The Father, Son, the Holy oh. Spirit. God is Dad. No. God is Dad. No. God doesn't fuck it. God is Daddy. <laughs> God is not Daddy. God is. God is Daddy. No. It's like Greek Santa Claus. He's Daddy. <laughs> Um, so Kirk finally speaks up and indignantly inquires if Cybok has staged this entire affair just to get his hands on the Enterprise. Cybok equally indignantly wonders who Kirk even is. Kirk yeah, clarifies. I like that. Yeah, right? That's sick <laughs> as fuck. He's like, who even are you, guy? You've, you're a nobody. Yeah. They should have they left Kirk on the planet. That would have been awesome. That would have been so funny. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, uh, what use would he serve? I mean, he can still captain the ship. Yeah. He has him captain the ship for the most part. So he clarifies that, uh, Kirk clarifies that he's captain of the Enterprise. Cybok realizes that Chekhov had been deceiving him and applauds Kirk's clever tactics, but moves on and asks Spock if he would like to join him. Kirk is also curious as to what Spock will say, but Spock simply states that he is a Starfleet officer, mm-hmm. which is not a no. No. Uh, Cybok understands and states he will just take the Enterprise without Spock's help. Unaware of the serious situation on the planet's surface, Chekhov and Scott are on the Enterprise and faced with another serious situation. The Klingon vessel is closing in on their position, about to bear arms. Uh-oh. Claw orders their cloaking device engaged in preparation for their attack on the Enterprise. Scotty notes the loss of the bird of prey on the sensors and deduces they must have gone into cloaking. Chekhov, knowing his first responsibilities to the ship, orders Scott to raise the shields. Scotty protests that the shuttlecraft is coming up from the surface, but Chekhov firmly repeats his order and follows it up with an order to go to red alert. Scott obliges and the Enterprise prepares for battle. The gallop, which is actually... Great, great. I'm surprised yeah. Chekhov like never like really gets a commission because he's he seems competent here. Yeah. yeah, I mean like definitely like the characters get a lot. You know, everyone else definitely gets more to do in this movie. And I'm surprised like I mean obviously didn't write the script, but I'm surprised like Kurt or you know Shatner kind of let everyone else to have a pretty good part here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. good good for him. Let uh, let her do her sexy dance. Let Scotty get laid. That was a sick idea. Good. For <laughs> it him. was. He finally lost his virginity. Yeah, in a, in a big way to the fucking the fucking thickest thickest girl on the ship, baby. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! God, it would have sucked the soul out of him. Oh uh, yeah, I bet he, <laughs> he gave her his own uh, communication station. If you know what I mean, that's a cum joke. Yeah, C- communication. Yeah, we're all happy for Scotty. He lost his virginity. Yeah, 
Yeah, we we all like Scotty getting his dick wet. Sulu though, I don't think he got them a lot. I mean, I guess he did have one thing. We'll get to in a second. He got lost in the woods, so he, he was incompetent, the and then he tried to lie about it. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, Shatner obviously really likes him. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, the Galileo approaches the Enterprise, and while Kirk retains his command of the officers, Cybok and his followers have them all under his command. Talbot informs them that once they have seized control of the Enterprise, they will bring up the rest of the Galactic Army of Light. Kirk, in an untenable position, laments that with the Klingons on their way, they will be lucky to even get back the ship at all, or get back to the ship at all. Mm. Chekhov hails the Galileo, informing them of the situation and recommends they find a safe harbor until the situation is secured. However, Cybok refuses and orders Kirk to bring them all on board. Kirk desperate, which is a stupid idea. They could just go back down to the planet for a minute and figure, figure yeah. this shit out. Uh, Kirk desperately tries to explain to Cybok that in order to dock the Galileo, the Enterprise would be v- vulnerable to a Klingon attack as her shields must be down for at least 15.5 seconds to enter the shuttle bay, which is about how long it takes Kirk to, to you know, <laughs> come. Yeah. So, you know, he, and that's a that's a marathon session for him. Oh yeah, but you know he doesn't go for speed. You know he doesn't go for, you know, he goes for speed. Yeah, and you know he gets in there and does what he has to do, and you know that's the ship in the galaxy. That's the ship in the galaxy. He uh, gets in there, makes David leaves, <laughs> kills David, yep. makes another David. <laughs> you know, it's a David machine that. that <laughs> um. So, Kord tells Cybok that Kirk is speaking the truth about the Klingons' plans, and Cybok refuses to return to Nimbus 3. He allows Kirk to take whatever action is necessary in order to get the Galileo aboard. Kirk tells Chekhov that they cannot return to the planet, and cryptically tells him to stand by in excruciating... Oh, in executing emergency landing Plan B, which is Plan B for early abortion pills, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is a good time to remind people, fuck the Supreme court. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck them. Fuck, fuck the Supreme court, uh, abortion on demand for fun at movie theaters. That's <laughs> what I say. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Like, like fucking take all of the abandoned dipping dots places. Fucking put a baby vacuum up in there. Oh, there's dipping dots places. They're, yeah, they're making but, uh, lipstick makeup now too. Makeup. Dippin yeah. dots. Interesting. Yeah. Huh, I guess makeup flavored like Dippin' so, Dots. So, so they actually, um, they only remained in business because they uh, uh, sold like their Dipping Dots making technology for like fifteen million dollars to some like chemical company mm. who like found an actual use for it. It's pretty making cool. weapons. Pro- probably <laughs> it was probably Raytheon. It was yeah, like just... Dippin' Dots for uh, third world brown people, and it's just fucking poison. Yeah, so, so Dippin' could... Dots for third world socialists. All everybody, right. all right, everybody, eat up all the Dippin' Dots. Why is it glowing green? Why does it taste like Flavorade? <laughs> These are the Jonestown's flavored Dippin' Dots. <laughs> Why does this taste like roasted almonds? You said it was vanilla. Mmm, <laughs> cyanide. Indeed. Um, so, they're doing emergency landing plan B. Chekhov and Scott have no idea what the fuck Kirk is talking about, because he's talking out his dumb asshole. Yeah. 
Like, why even, like, if, if no one knows, if it's not code for anything. Why don't you come up with a quick plan, like, uh, barricade the shuttle bay or something? Yeah, why does he have to, like, make a whole, make a whole like, thing about calling it Plan B in front of Cybok and stuff? Well, because he wanted to let women know he keeps it on hand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's you know, like, by the way, I got lots of Plan B back in my I, place. I always go in raw. Just, <laughs> just, just take the pill, baby. I always go in raw. Yeah, meanwhile, and that's it's a good I'm, thing. I'm going to free solo this one, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Good thing Spock doesn't show emotion because he'd be so jealous right now. Oh, yeah, I would. Yeah. Uh, so Chekhov and Scott have no idea what Kirk is talking about, but get the general idea when Kirk says B stands for barricade. Mm. Uh, Kirk intends to forego the tractor beam and fly the shuttlecraft in manually in order to minimize the time the Enterprise's shields will be down. Claw, meanwhile, has been monitoring the communications channel and realizes that Kirk is on the shuttle and alters his attack course to bear down on the Galileo. The Enterprise lowers her shields just as the bird of prey decloaks. Sulu engages the shuttle's thrusters and makes a hasty course for the shuttle bay. With no tractor beam, the shuttlecraft blasts into the bay, almost exploding, throwing its occupants to the deck and knocking out its systems. So I want to point out, like... Kirk makes a lot of really bad decisions. Like he gives in to the demands of Cybok. Yeah, but Cybok's right. I know, but he gives in <laughs> to the demands. Like, like he doesn't try to, to um, stall or try to like or just like because he's putting like the Enterprise in a lot of danger. Mm-hmm. He's putting the Enterprise in danger of being. He doesn't give a fuck anymore. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's like he knows he can't die. Like he's he's, br- he's not alone. Right? He's he's being held hostage by 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 his adversaries. Uh huh. He's bringing the adversaries into the Enterprise, correct? To then take it over, uh-huh. and at the same time, he's also putting the Enterprise at risk of being exploded. So, correct. like, he doesn't at any point realize, say, say, like, okay, well, you know, I have to do a noble sacrifice. I can't let this guy into the Enterprise and risk the rest lives of the rest of my crew. I should just like not let him in. Yeah, but he's directing this film, don't you get <laughs> oh, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, oh yeah, <laughs> he has creative control. He's, he's all, he saw the script. He's yeah, like, he's like, no, really no, no, can't die there. Like they they had him die like thirty times in the film, and he crossed like, them all <laughs> off until the end. And they're like, fine, you don't die. Fine, you don't die. Fine, <laughs> fine. We can make a Star Trek sex. Fuck. He's like, all right, I'll let the I'll let these guys that are holding me hostage onto the ship and let them take over like a, a Federation starship. Yeah, I, mean, I I feel like in a way this film is William Shatner holding the rest of the crew hostage <laughs> yeah. for Star Trek six. Like it's he like won't Cy- let them die. Cybok has a Sinjo Abe. Shinzo Abe at at Kirk's head, and then Shatner has a Shinzo Abe at Cybok's head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Correct, correct. Mutually assured Star mm-hmm. Trek Six. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the undiscovered country—that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the barricade in the shuttle bay flies up to contain the craft before it crashes through the wall and decompresses additional compartments of the ship. The bird of prey flies at the Enterprise, but Chekhov orders immediate warp speed and streaks away just as the torpedo misses in one of the dumbest shots I've seen of any special effects. It looks comedic. It's like, like, it, it should be, it should have like a, like a little, like it just does a little Zoidberg as it zips away. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it looks, it looked awful. It's like definitely something that they probably like, 
oh, you know what? We'll just put this in as a holder, and then we'll come back and do it later, and then they forgot. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. Um, Claw is enraged uh, at the special effect, but impressed at Kirk's <laughs> cunning and orders his officers to track the Enterprise's course. In the Galileo, the Starfleet officers and the outlaws are in various states of unconsciousness from the crash, which is like, you don't just get knocked unconscious. <laughs> like, like all of these people would like have serious concussions if they were knocked out from this crash. Oh yeah. I mean, their, their, their brains got like jangled around and yeah, like, their like skulls. W- one of them would be like, you know, Spock have, have in, whiplash in, and- in search for three <laughs> Spock after this and just be like, upon four, do. <laughs> Should have had some guys like impaled on stuff. No, oh, that would have been so sick. Like if someone... they just decided to merc Sulu. No one was wearing seatbelts either. No, they don't have seatbelts <laughs> in space. <laughs> they would have all been piled at the front of the ship. Yeah, they have been... like artificial gravity, but they can't fucking come on. Come yeah, on. no seatbelts. Come on, that's uh, that's 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 safety one hundred and one. Yeah, people. Ralph Nader would hate Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, Cybok recovers just as Kirk does, and both note a uh, Shinzo Abe on the deck. They struggle for it, but Cybok gets the upper Shinzo and Abe's Kirk to change course at once. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I totally understood that. That's the yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst part. It's like when it was coming out, I'm like, this makes sense. This makes sense. Um, yeah. So the captain agrees to take Cybok to the bridge, but tries to get the weapon away from him as they disembark from the shuttle. The Vulcan easily outmatches Kirk in physical strength, like, yeah. and throws him. Oh, he yeah. fucks Kirk up. Like, he tosses Kirk around like Kirk tosses a cation around. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah, he, he probably, you know, Cyborg probably saw him throw that cation around. He's like, that was really rude. <laughs> so, <laughs> I should use that move. Yeah. Like, respect women's bodily autonomy, <laughs> even if they're cats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Respect our cat girls. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Wait, let, let's make a bumper sticker that says that. And has, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. This has a <laughs> respect our cat girls. Oh, yeah. And has like a cation and then there's just a Starfleet logo. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Print Perfect. it. Print it. Yep. Um, so uh, Kirk gets fucked up. Just straight up fucked up. Yeah. And uh, fucking Cybok has him in a chokehold. Kirk, though, is able to get the weapon away from him somehow, and it slides across the deck to the feet of Spock, who picks it up and orders Cybok to surrender. Cybok refuses, and walking towards Spock and says, you gotta kill me to, to fucking, you gotta kill me. Yeah. And Kirk uh, yells at Spock, and he's like, shoot him! But Spock cannot, and the, uh, the, the Shinzo Abe is confiscated by Cybok. He says, look at me. I'm the Shinzo Abe now. <laughs> um, I don't know. Also, I don't know why, like, Kirk is so mad at Spock. Like, okay, he fucked up and didn't shoot his brother. Or, spoiler. Yeah, whoa. Like, oh, Excuse damn. me? He's what? Uh, he didn't shoot He didn't shoot him. You and, gotta wait, like, 20 well, more minutes until we get to the next scene. <laughs> he didn't shoot a man in cold blood. Yeah. But... Kirk is the one who brought, who went out of his way to bring cold him on board. Cold, green blood. Mm-hmm. When he went out of his way to bring them on board. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cybok is like sparing their lives. He could have shinzo yeah. them at any Abe Anytime. at this point. Yeah. I mean, he could have just been like pop, pop. Right. But instead he. But yeah. But 
They could be full of rocks at this point. Yeah, Kirk's the one who's brought him on. Who, yeah, who couldn't like you know worm his way out or like try to like think of some clever thing to not let these people who are you know Kirk. This is the film in which Kirk is least resourceful and clever. Oddly, yeah, yeah, he doesn't do anything uh, clever. Yeah, to to uh, to uh, again, he's just existing in the movie. Yeah. Like he's just, but he's it, existing really cool. He's so good. Yeah. Like, the only, yeah. Like the only like cool thing he does is he beats up a cat woman. Yeah. And, <laughs> Which I mean, Batman has done at plenty of points. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's punched a, a number of strippers, in his, in his, <laughs> but like, it's like, fuck you. You're a cation. You're Bruce security, <laughs> Bruce security. Get this guy out of here. William's back. Shatner's back. <laughs> Shatner's back. The shat's here. <laughs> But like shot in the bed again. But yeah, he doesn't do anything interesting to like in this movie at all. No, no. Like Everyone else is a hero, but he, him. he observes everything happening around him. Yeah, he observes Cybok being a badass. Yeah, Spock going through some shit. Um, fucking Bones coming out of the closet. <laughs> like yeah. it's yeah, fucking Scotty and a her a fucking. Mm-hmm. He watches those security tapes. You know that. Yeah, everything's just being done to him. Like he's mm-hmm. being taken hostage. Like, like he well, he loses the battle. He gets taken hostage, and yeah, fights God. It's not not his. But not, he doesn't. He doesn't even fight God. God almost beats the shit out of him, and then he gets saved again. Not, and it's not even. Yeah, and he doesn't even get to be the one that fist fights God. It fucking sucks, man. Fuck, man. He's, um. So, um. Spock doesn't shoot Cybok. Uh, Spock cannot shoot him, and the weapon is confiscated by Cybok, who is relieved as he thought Spock might have actually shinzoed him. (laughs) Uh, Ja'on and his terrible, awful teeth gums take an injured Dr. McCoy and Kirk to the brig as Cybok asks Spock to accompany him to the bridge, but again, Spock refuses. Mm -hmm. Cybok tells him he has no choice but to join his friends in confinement in the brig. Kord, Dar, and Talbot escort Sulu and Ahura out of the Galileo. Cybok requests a moment alone with them in order to release their pain, as he had done with the others. Which, to me, sounds like a really good come, right? Yeah. He's like, I'm going to give you a happy ending. He's like, especially you, Spock. I know you've got your cum leg full. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You've got to have eight years on that pond far leg, brother. Mm. I know. It's spilling out. You think that's why they always had seven-year missions on on, on starships is so they could do it between pond fars? Wasn't the original five years? It was. Yeah. It was. But after that, they're like, well, we fucked up there, and Spock got way too horny. No, yeah. So. uh, Yeah, we got to, like, yeah, make sure that, you know. We have availability. And also, they should always be, like, two. They should probably make sure to have, like, at least two Vulcans. (laughs) Yeah, so they can pawn their far. Yeah, they can pawn far together. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Let's just make a... Let's just write Star Trek pawn far, as though that doesn't (laughs) exist on the internet somewhere. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure it does. Oh, it does. It... Trust me, it does. (laughs) It does. I've read it a few times. (laughs) I've written it myself. The plug-in. Uh, teledildonics from the observation deck a disturbed Scotty watches as the galactic army of light pour out of the Galileo and onto the rest of the ship and he goes into hiding yeah he goes die hard he does Jeffrey's tubes baby now we're in the brig and Kirk is cursing Spock for betraying the entire crew 
Spock says it's worse than that. He's betrayed Kirk and does not expect the captain to forgive him. Yeah. Kirk simply cannot believe it. Why wouldn't Spock defend his ship and fellow, uh, and follow orders and just pull the Shinzo <laughs> on the Abe and Abe Saibinzo? Spock, I don't know. Spock. Spock. By the end, we're just going to be like Shinzo Abe <laughs> and Shinzo'd Abe Abe'd. Shinzo. We are going to cling on this into a real language. <laughs> just be like Pokemon. Name Shinzo Abe. Shinzo, Shinzo. Shinzo. Abe, Abe. Shinzo, Abe. <laughs> Shinzo used improvised weapon. It was super effective. Um, so, um... Spock says it's worse than that. He's betrayed Kirk and does not expect the captain to forgive him. Kirk simply cannot believe it. Why wouldn't Spock defend the ship and follow orders and just kill Cybok? Spock claims he could not because Kirk ordered him to Shinzo, his own Abe brother. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kirk is incredulous and claims Spock is lying because he knows for a fact Spock does not have a brother. Spock agrees. He's technically correct. He has a half brother. God, that would drive me insane. Right? I hate that. So what a, fuck, what a fucking <laughs> dork. It's like they've known each other for. I what? was raised with this kid who is technically has the same father as I do, but I do not have a brother. Yeah. This fuck is, you, Spock. You like fucking almost dork. 30 years together and they're still pulling. He's still like doing like, well, technically. Oopsie. Like he's doing like a fucking Neil deGrasse Tyson type shit on. <laughs> also, how does, how does new Spock remember that even? I mean, like Spock that was reborn. Did someone tell him about Cybok? Who I mean, told him he, about I mean, Cybok? he got his memories back. All of them? Did he? Yeah. But he was still like learning about like calling him Jim and shit from the last film. Remember? Yeah. I mean, I mean it was jogging up. I mean, he, it just happened. Oh, uh, did he like a couple rum rumbles in the bushes and fucking San Francisco? And he's like, oh, I remember. <laughs> I okay. Yeah, he just had to. He just had to get you know feel himself for a bit and get back into it. I remember that feeling. I remember. I remember <laughs> oh, the prostate jogs the old memory. Um, who? Uh, so Sp Kirk says he has to sit down and extends the brig toilet to use as a seat, uh, which says on it, uh, do not use while in space dock, which is what is wh why? Why can't you use it in space dock? I wonder. That's a good question. I mean, I'm also, it was also, it was wide. Was very wide. Oh yeah, it's for it's for a big boy. <laughs> it's for it's, it's a Scotty size toilet. For, it's for a giant ass. Yeah, that's so where I can take my shits. So you're just falling in. Put and too much Guinness in my beans. <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't engineer my way out of that one. I've used up all the sleeping bags. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've, we've no more toilet paper, Captain. I've been using the. <laughs> the amenities like the camping bags and the, <laughs> the jettison, jettisoning them in the airlock and jettisoning them out in shame. <laughs> I, I had to use one of your wigs, Captain. It was the only thing soft enough. Um, so Dr. McCoy tries to make sense of it all. Uh, why is there a toilet here in the brig? <laughs> And do we all have to take a shit in front of each other? <laughs> and uh, Spock and Cybok have some... Uh, the same father, but different mothers, apparently. Mm -hmm. uh, Spock says that Cybok's mother was a Vulcan princess, and upon her death, 
they have a monarchy. Right? How is that fucking... <laughs> that is wild to me. I'm like, that's not logical. Yeah. Uh, but maybe it means like a Disney princess, but there's like... Uh, he's talking mm. Vul- Vulcan Property Management, the property mm. management company that used to be owned by Paul Allen here before he <laughs> fucking died. Ha ha ha, fuck you. <laughs> um, like... Yeah, yeah, they mean like yeah, landlords, have their uh, own, landlord like, princess, fief- yeah. their own little fiefdoms and stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's I mean, in the future, that's going to be the the kings and queens and princes and princesses are just people who own a certain amount of property. Yeah, as they were before. <laughs> um, history repeats itself. Mm-hmm. How fun! Time is a flat circle, man. Hell yeah! Fucking. Uh, <laughs> Kirk can't believe Spock never mentioned any of this to them before, and Spock yeah. apologized for it. I think we all are like, what? Yeah, this is a fucked up thing to just, like, withhold from everybody, mm-hmm. the people you're closest also, to. Also, completely withheld that he had a sister, too, Michael yeah. Burnham. Well, there, there's well, a technic- reason for that. Technically, I'm not a... Well, yeah, yeah, I yeah. guess they wiped it from the shit, but still, yeah, like, they, they didn't they come back or something in the end of the... I don't know. So Kirk, um, Kirk, well, I haven't finished the fourth season. I kind of gave oh, up okay. halfway through. <laughs> so Kirk is fuming, but McCoy tells him to stop berating Spock is he could no more kill Cybok than Bones could kill Kirk. Weird. Yeah. Uh, more to the point, they have bigger problems to deal with, like escaping from the brig. I'll say one thing, Spock. You never cease to amaze me, McCoy says. Nor I myself, Spock responds. Kirk Sitting on the brig's toilet, shakes his head. Um, I should also note this is one of the only times we ever see a toilet in Star Trek. It's not the first time because uh, the first time is in... Um, actually, no, I think this is the first time because the mm. other time is in Q-Who when they first meet the Borg and the Borg extract like a piece of the core from um, oh. the Enterprise-D, mm-hmm. which uh, had to have happened, I think, Q-Who's season three. So that's probably 90. So this this actually... Now, Q-Who was, I think, season... Yeah, yeah, maybe two or three, I think. No, so it's probably around here, though. Yeah. So this is this is the golden era for toilets in Star Trek. It's yes. the late eighties, I'd say, <laughs> late eighties, early nineties. Um. So, on the bridge, Sulu and Ahura enter with several of Cybok's followers. Chekhov wonders where Kirk is, but Ahura tells him not to worry about it. Cybok will explain everything. As Cybok's followers begin to take up positions on the bridge, Sulu begins entering commands onto the navigation console. Chekhov demands to know what he's doing as Sulu answers that he's plotting a new course. Chekhov is incredulous as Sulu has no authority to take that action. Cybok arrives on the bridge as Chekhov demands an explanation. As Sulu, uh, all Sulu will say is that Chekhov simply has to listen to Cybok. Cybok tells Chekhov that he won't force him into anything, but encourages him to share his pain with him, as all the others have, and gain strength from it. As a result, Chekhov can't help but be taken into Cybok's cause by the rest. I'm kind of disappointed we didn't get to see everybody's pain. What do you think yeah. Chekhov's pain is? I mean, probably, you know, as we discussed. Probably last... bottoming for Sulu. Yeah. Sulu's big fat <laughs> or like pain a... is an ad. <laughs> or like you know, having to like make money for them in the past. True. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I remember San Francisco. <laughs> they called me the R word. <laughs> Both of the R words. Both of the R words. Oh. Yeah, God, that must have been pain. Yeah, yeah. We, we didn't get to see all their pains, but 
Yeah. Who do you think had the best Bane? Hmm. I like that we Scotty never has pain, and you know if they tried to do it on Scotty, like, like they try to see his pain, but it'd just be like a, a fucking his fried food went bad or something like it. Just like <laughs> like oh. someone's bringing him a giant they, fried haggis, like, and then they trip, I, and then it smashes <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> just like show me your pain, and he's like at the drive-through. Uh, yeah, I ask for no pickles, thank you. Okay, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> and then he just like parks his car and just starts eating the burger with the pickles on it while crying. <laughs> you, sir, have suffered beyond what a man should suffer. So, back in the brig, several efforts to escape are proven to be fruitless. As Spock has personally tested the new design of the brig and found it to be escape-proof. Which is really fun that the only thing that actually works on the ship is its punitive jail cells. <laughs> that's 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 great. Um, I, I don't even get the bars on it. Like the bars, can't, like or like met. They and they left the um, space between them. Mm-hmm. Like they just look like. Uh, that's what the Dave Matthews song is about. <laughs> the space between the space between the light bulbs that are <laughs> acting as jail cell bars. Yeah. But yeah, like uh, they're meeting in very random areas and didn't actually connect and so i was like thinking like can't they like you can't squeeze fucking bones through that opening like it looks like a bone sized opening dude he has the shakes way too bad to fit through there it'd be like, <laughs> it'd, be like it'd be like fucking playing operation with parkinson's <laughs> he's like ah and just fries uh scotty's like Somebody frying something. <laughs> oh, so, so, I, that's smells, why he, smells like whiskey and fried food. <laughs> mm. That's why he cool Kool Aid man through the through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, so back on the bridge, Cybok has fully assumed command of the Enterprise as they proceed on their new course at warp seven. As they are now underway, Cybok announces his intentions to the rest of the ship. Via the ship's intercom and computer terminals, Cybok asks the crew of the Enterprise to consider the questions of existence. The same questions that man himself has considered ever since he looked up at the stars and dreamed. They dreamed about a place where questions of existence would be answered. Although modern dogma says that this place is a myth, Cybok believes it exists and has taken the Enterprise with the intent of making the greatest discovery of all time. The discovery of Shah. Ka-ri, which lies beyond the Great Barrier at the center of the galaxy. How many licks does it take to get to the center <laughs> in Shakari? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy watch from the brig. Kirk is alarmed at the center of the galaxy cannot be reached. No ship has ever entered the Great Barrier, and no probe has ever returned. Mm. Much like from Sulu's ass. <laughs> Spock says that Cybok has the keenest intellect he's ever known. Mm. Once again, Spock says that Cybok has the keenest intellect he's ever known (laughs) more than any other Vulcan, which to me might say something about how maybe emotions are perhaps maybe more powerful than logic since he's one of, he's like, he's been banned from being a Vulcan, even though he's, like the most physically and mentally powerful Vulcan out there. Why, why does he not have like more leaders on Vulcan? I kind of also wonder like where, 
Like, what was he doing before he started taking control of Nimbus 3? Uh, prostate stuff. <laughs> Prostates. Because it just seemed like he just, like, one day decided, like, yep, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to talk to God. <laughs> well, I mean, before that, he, like, he maybe just had a vision of God, and he's like, shit, I need to do that. Mm. B- before that, he was just leading his own fucking, like, Jim Jones-type fucking cult. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, jerking off in the Kool-Aid and making everyone drink his cum or whatever. Cool. That is pretty cool. I mean, flavor aid, sorry. Not cool. Flavor. But yeah, that does say something like, oh yeah, well, emotions can give you a whole other um, level of intelligence. And everyone, kind of intelligence. everyone likes him, whereas not everyone likes Spock. Yeah, so I mean, why why do you want to be a fucking logic-ass Vulcan? That's, that, Sarek sucks, man. Uh, well, like, um, I guess because, you know, they talk, they talk a lot about how, like, they're almost uh, destroyed by their emotions, so... Yeah, like a thousand years ago. Yeah, it's true. When they were little bitch boys. (laughs) So suddenly a mysterious tapping sound is heard coming from the wall of the brig. Kirk and Spock immediately recognize it as Morse code. Why would you have Morse code this far in the future? Yeah, I don't even know Morse code. No one knows Morse code. And, like, I remember having lots of, like, Morse code style things when I was a kid. Like, you know, it's like, learn Morse code. Here's the thing. Also, Morse code is entirely predicated on the English language. So, like, yeah. it's making a lot of assumptions all the way down here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the Morse code taps out the letters S-T-A-N-D-B-A-C-K, Stand Back, uh, which is a song by Stevie Nicks that mm. Prince co-wrote. Oh. Stand back, stand back. Great song. Um, As they realize what the message wants them to do, the wall explodes outwards and Scotty from the other side chides them for not recognizing a jailbreak when they see one. It would have been amazing if they just crushed bones here, just like (laughs) flattened him. Yeah. That would have been so cool. He just like turns into a pink mist. (laughs) Oh, they got bones everywhere and bones, bones everywhere. Kirk just picks up his head and puts it underneath his arm. <laughs> I'm going to use this later. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, he definitely Kool-Aid mans through that door like crazy. He's like, oh, yeah. Um, so Cybok, Sulu, uh, Ja'on with his shitty teeth, and some of the followers enter the brig. Cybok still intent on converting Kirk, Spock, and McCoy to join his cause, but realize they have escaped. Oh, no, where they could have gone on the starship with no transporters. No. He orders Sulu and John to find them. Why can't they scan for them? What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, the you scanners could've... on the ship work. Yeah. And they're still wearing their communicators and everything. Mm-hmm. Below decks, uh, Scotty tells Kirk that the crew is sympathetic to Cybok and they cannot be trusted now, which tells me that Scotty can't be trusted if everyone else is gone with this new guy. Yeah. Uh, Spock reminds Kirk of the emergency communications transmitter in the observation lounge, but they cannot easily access it. Uh, as it is in the forward section of the ship, far away from their current position, near the bottom of the secondary hole. Scotty tells them that uh, they may be able to avoid the search parties if they get there by accessing Turboshaft 3, which is also what he calls his penis. <laughs> um, but it's closed for repairs, um, but warns it's as long, it's a long and dangerous climb, much like El Capitan. <laughs> Kirk starts sweating. Except it has like bars that you can use. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kirk tells Scotty to finish repairing the transporter 
because they'll need it if they can contact a rescue ship and head for the turbo shaft. Um, Scotty says, you can head for my turbo shaft right now, Kirk. <laughs> and he gives him a fantastic blowjob. Hell yeah. So good. Uh, as they depart, Scotty says he knows the ship like the back of his hand and then inadvertently smacks his head on a low clearance bulkhead and falls unconscious, which is actually really funny. You know, I had a similar moment one time. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a friend uh, visit me uh, from out of town, uh, came to Baltimore, and I was showing him around. Uh-huh. And, like, I was like, oh, go this way. And he's like, are you sure you know where you're going? He's like, I was like, I know this place like the back of my hand. And then I went to step into traffic and almost got <laughs> killed, hit by a car. That rules. I like that a lot. <laughs> I was like, that would have been a perfect end to my story. Hell yeah. Instead, I just kept living. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all good. We're, we're here, though. <laughs> we're here. Um, so as they depart, Scott says, oh no, already got that. Uh, the search parties consisting of Cybox followers mobilized to find Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Sulu and Ja'an and his shitty teeth quickly find Scotty's unconscious body and rush him to sickbay. As the trio begin their climb up the shaft, Spock immediately makes a quick and quiet exit. He realizes that using the levitation boots he had earlier will be much faster uh, than climbing up all those decks by ladder. And how would like, where were these boots that they were so easily accessible? Were they, they in, just his, in his ass. <laughs> he keeps them in his ass. He's, He's got like, I gotta, go to, I gotta go to that giant toilet. <laughs> that's, that's where the time. That's why it's so wide. That's so, why it's so wide. So push these ski boots out of my asshole. <laughs> Uh, and they are definitely just like reworked ski boots. Yeah, they're, they're pretty cool looking, but they're still ski boots. Yeah, I mean, I would, I, if, I would definitely be playing around with them all the time. Mm-hmm. I would not wear anything else. I think. Yep. So uh, uh, first, he grabs Kirk and then goes to get McCoy. Uh, but McCoy says, "I'll wait for the next car," in a <laughs> reference that would surely be gone two hundred and fifty years from now. Yeah, uh, their added weight is too much for the boots which McCoy suggests might be because of too many marshmallows. (laughs) And they begin to descend back to the bottom of the turbo shaft, where Sulu and a contingent of Cybox followers have found them. Kirk orders Spock to use the booster rockets on the boots, but Spock warns against it, saying it's going to be very powerful. Kirk is insistent, and Spock obliges, and the boosters propel them upward in incredible rate, like right in front of mm-hmm. Sulu's face, which it would have been amazing if these were actually like fuel based <laughs> and they just like melted Sulu yeah, into the bottom. What, what is the, what, what propels it? It looks like a fucking fire extinguisher. Yeah. It's, it's just a type a fire extinguisher <laughs> on, on shoes. But like, even still, if no matter if it, if it was air or whatever, compressed air, yeah, compressed air would have killed anybody yeah. below it. That's yeah, insane. if it if it, ha- if, it it's, if it supposedly has enough for enough power to uh, levitate, you know, let's say five hundred pounds. Yeah, conservative. Like, yeah. yeah, conservative. Like like with with Bill Shatner, six hundred. <laughs> yeah, like, six hundred. I mean, like fifty of that is being hidden by a, like a, a, a giant man brazier thing. Yeah, so about five hundred pounds. It has the ability to lift it up. Mm-hmm. And so that goes off in a and someone's directly in someone's face, uh-huh. like you would like That's so much torque, like so many pounds <laughs> yeah. per square inch, it would just like destroy whatever was yeah. beneath it. Mm-hmm. And like if Sulu was sticking his ass in the air, he'd probably love it. He'd be like, "Oh yeah. my!" I mean, it definitely it definitely looked like vape. It could have been a vape cloud. Oh, oh yeah, and still. he's like. 
Oh, is that is that the cherry cola flavor? <laughs> I yeah. love that. Yeah, so just they just get him really high and but yeah, like yeah, it would have it would destroyed his face. Yeah, he he'd like his face destroyed <laughs> if you know what I mean. Oh hell yeah. by a psychoc. <laughs> uh how have we not gotten to psychoc here? I don't know. Wow. That seems like an obvious one. Yeah, it's super obvious. Um <laughs> Um, so surprisingly they don't hit their heads on the top of the shaft, although it would have been funny if they just flattened on the top of the shaft and that was Mm -hmm. the end of the film. Yeah. Uh, but instead they just leave the top of the shaft and exit for the observation lounge from the lounge. Kirk sends out a distress call on the emergency channel. Starfleet command responds and Kirk informs them that they've been hijacked by a hostile force that has put them on a direct course for the great barrier and they require immediate assistance. However, they are responding. The responding voice is not, in fact, Starfleet Command, but it is Vixus aboard the Klingon Bird of Prey, Mm. impersonating a Starfleet officer. Smart. Very. As Kirk signs off, Claw orders his crew into the Great Barrier as well, with the intent of following Kirk wherever he may go. And... and and it's so easy for them to go in. Like they, they make a big deal about how like no ship or probe has ever has gone in and ever returned. Turns out it's very easy. <laughs> like the, turns out they just never tried. They're like, this barrier is great. <laughs> turns out not so great. Yeah. Not very good. Even it's Actually, just, yeah, a, you can just coast it's not in. even really a barrier. It's kind of a cloud. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing happens. They're like, all right. Well, as, um, as Kirk, Bones and Spock exit the lounge. They are intercepted by Psycock and his armed followers who trust that their message has been received. Kirk claims that he can't expect them to sit by and let Cybok take the enterprise into the great barrier. Cybok claims that what Kirk really fears about the great barrier is that it is, it is an unknown and cites numerous examples from earth's history about similar fears. The earth being round breaking the sound barrier and Zephram Cochran achieving warp speed. Although he doesn't say Zephram Cochran. Cybok desperately wants Kirk's respect and understanding and challenges the captain to hear him out, which honestly is cool. Cybok is dope. Cybok, honestly, Cybok kind of reminds me like of Bernie Sanders a little bit in how he approaches things. Yeah. I like Cybok. He just wants to, he just wants to talk. Yeah. He's he's (laughs) like, uh, I want to hear your problems. I want to address your problems. Mm -hmm. I get it. Like, he's, he's pretty cool. And then fucking William Shatner over here is fucking Bill Clinton, right? <laughs> Being like, my wife <laughs> and shit. And like, you know, for emails, <laughs> um, raping Epstein, you know, those things. Yeah, so he had to be dealt with. He has to be dealt yeah. with. Part of the, you know, he had to join the Clinton crime spree or whatever they call it, the crime, the murder Murder list. Seth Rich. Seth Rich. <laughs> All right. Uh, meanwhile, in sick bay, Scotty has recovered from his head injury, but remains handicapped in a Scottish sense. <laughs> so Scottish. I, I, yeah, I, I forgot writing that line, and I really enjoy that handicapped <laughs> in a Scottish sense. Uh, and, um, this is the scene where it really expands on Ahura wanting after his dick. She's thirsty for that. She's like, mm-hmm. oh, you hit your head. But your other head's fine. I made sure. And he's like, oh, lassie, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. My haggis is sore. <laughs> oh. 
I hit me haggis when I fell. <laughs> I sat on it. <laughs> it's too big. Uh, Psychoc continues to speak of Shakari to Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. That is heaven, Eden in their terms. The Klingons, Romulans, and Andorians all have different names for it, but they all have a shared concept for it. For the Enterprise, that concept will soon be a reality. Except the Klingons. The Klingons killed their gods. But also Stovacor exists. Like, oh yeah, exists. Stovacor exists, yeah. yeah. But still, like, the... Um, but still, they did kill their gods. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Kales is yeah. kind of like the new god-ish. Yeah. Kind of-ish. Except when they clone Kales. Yeah. That's its own thing. It's a little short guy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> short, he's a short king. Short Kales king. king. Yeah. He's a, he's a little call less than usual, but he's still <laughs> well, call uh, well, I wanted Ka, ka more. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so, for the Enterprise, that concept will soon be a reality. Kirk is less than convinced, however. The only reality he knows is that he is a prisoner aboard his own ship and challenges Cybok about the power he has over the minds of his crew. Cybok retorts that he doesn't control minds. He frees them, which is true. Yeah. McCoy, a bit more inquisitive, wonders how this is accomplished. Cybok explains that he forces people to face their pain and draws strength from it. Once that's done, he continues, fear cannot stop people, which is cool, honestly. It's like... Fear is the mind killer. Yeah. McCoy is less than convinced and compares it to brainwashing, which is like, no, it's therapy. He's giving <laughs> therapy to people. I mean, it is weird, though. Like, um, they all do become um, uh, loyal to Cybok and are yeah. willing to ride or die for him. Yeah. Have you ever had a good therapist, dude? I have not. Oh, well, I... I <laughs> I, I don't believe in therapy. Oh, fair. You're, <laughs> you're going to be a great stepdad someday. I I got to thank folks like you for daddy issues because that's the only way I get pussy. It's true. Uh, wow. <laughs> um, so Cybok begins to peer into McCoy's pain. And by pain, I mean his juicy butthole. Mm. So he's got a juicy, juicy butthole. I mean, um, yeah, because he had beans and whiskey earlier. <laughs> it's, it's, that thing's leaking. <laughs> oh, it makes its own gravy. Mm-hmm. Just st- stopped up full of cotton. <laughs> just, just... It's like I couldn't find any balls, so I just stuck a bunch of Q-tips in there. <laughs> Hope that works. He looks like he looks like that. You know, the photo of the guy with all the cigarettes in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, what is going on here? What <laughs> a browned out Q-tips. God. Slowly dripping like a leaky faucet. Um, That's the thing. <laughs> no. those, yeah, those beans and whiskey are double-edged sword. Uh, so Cybok begins to peer into McCoy's pain, claiming it runs the deepest of the three of them. He can feel it. Surely McCoy can. An apparition begins to appear in the corner of the room. An elderly man in a bed, sick and dying, calling out to Bones. McCoy approaches it and discovers that it is his father, David. And I wonder if Kirk named his child after McCoy's dad. Mm. McCoy begs Cybok not to put him through this memory, but Cybok continues. David weakly begs his son to help him, 
The pain of the disease that is afflicting him is too much to bear and wishes to be released. McCoy turns to Cybok and laments that with all his medical knowledge, he can't save his father. You can't even give him a fucking liver pill or something? <laughs> yeah. Cybok whispers to McCoy that he's a doctor. He should know the reality of that life. McCoy responds that he's also his father's son and deactivates the life support system sustaining him. He watches as his father dies before his eyes. Yeah, he Kevorkians and Kevorkians and, and him. <laughs> yeah, he Terry Shivos. Oh yeah, Terry Shivo. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I happened to be in Florida while that Terry Shivo thing was going on. I was <laughs> curious. Yeah, I was actually like down the street. Curious. <laughs> Yeah. I was there for totally other reasons. I just, just a complete like, coincidence. <laughs> throwing things at the power lines. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> uh, trying to help. <laughs> like I'm here on completely innocuous reasons. I am just going to go into the uh, to the hospital dressed as a uh, as a doctor. I'll free you from pain, <laughs> Terry. Please let me help you. Um. Whew, yeah. I lost my notes. I'll be back there in a second. Uh, tell a joke. Don't tell a joke. Um, you know what? I have I have uh, the same bowl of Cheerios every morning. Yeah. I guess you could say I'm a serial monogamist. <laughs> I have the same bowl of Cheerios every morning. Oh, yeah? All right, that one was good. <laughs> that one's good. That's all I got. So, uh, back to Cybok McCoy's pain. Okay, so Cybok questions why McCoy did it, why he killed his father, and uh, McCoy responds that he did it to preserve his father's dignity. But Cybok knows that the act itself wasn't the pain that McCoy carried with him for all these years. McCoy admits it wasn't. The real sorrow was that not long after he released his father from his mortal coil, a cure for the disease was found. Had he not killed him, he might have survived. McCoy doesn't know if he did the right thing or not, and hasn't been able to answer that question all of his life. His pain has finally been released. Which is, like, really cool. Yeah. Cybok fucking rocks. Yeah. Um, I'm on Team Cybok all the way. Fuck Ma- Kirk. Imagine if he did that to Picard. We would have, it would have saved us a second season. Oh, my God. You're right. That would have been <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't need to go through all the Q stuff. He could just, like, admit, admit back in time. And but then, like, how could Q die? Q would have oh, such yeah. an unceremonious death. He could have just taken him to Cybok and then had Cybok do that, and then he could have died. It would accomplish the same thing without the, all the time travel hijinks. Uh, yeah, but then they wouldn't have hijinks. Oh, uh, yeah. And that, that seems suspiciously like, like hijinks. hijinks. Yeah. And yeah, it would have been stupid. <laughs> Cybok next turns his attention to Spock, claiming each person's pain is unique. Spock claims to hide no pain, but Cybok doesn't believe him. Spock allows Cybok to proceed with his pain experiment, and another apparition appears. It's Savik. Assaulting a young Spock. (laughs) Uh, He doesn't remember. You're not going to tell anyone about this. (laughs) 
shut up. I'm going <laughs> to kill David and no one will ever say a word. <laughs> um, so the image of Amanda Grayson giving birth to Spock on Vulcan appears. In this, a cave. Mm-hmm, in a cave. A fucking medical cave. As Spock is born, <laughs> the midwife, the Vulcan midwife presents the child to Sarek, his father, who coldly regards the infant and dismisses him as being so human. Or too human. Yeah, too human, which is like, what the fuck, dude? That's your child. What 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 did you think? You had sex with a human. You raw dogged a human woman and are like, oh no, the kid'll be pretty Vulcan. I think pretty Vulcan, right? Also, it's funny because, like, yeah, Spock doesn't look any different than other Vulcans. He doesn't. And he doesn't act any different from him either. No. No, he's very He Vulcan. just fucks different from him. Yeah. Like, he empties his pawn <laughs> far leg from the side, not the top. So oh, yeah. It's, oh, that's what he was referring to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they had circumcised his cum leg. <laughs> How? They just take the kneecap <laughs> off? Yeah. Yeah, he has to hit the peg the, leg fold, around. Fold the skin back. And... <laughs> no. <laughs> They stole my foreskin <laughs> from the leg, the leg skin. I have to regrow it. It's only logical. Um, so Kirk regards Spock, who is disquieted by the experience of being born. Some might say he's born again. Cybok mm. claims he has done nothing to either Spock nor McCoy and wonders if Kirk knew this about either of them. Kirk claims he did not. Because Kirk is a shitty fucking friend. Yeah. And Cybok is a good fucking friend. And a good person, it seems. <laughs> like, Cybok... Yeah, I mean, Kirk didn't even know he had a brother. Right? What the fuck? Did he never talk about it or anything? Or, like, he's like... He asks, he's like, uh, you got a... Uh, do you have any siblings? And Spock <laughs> is like... Technically, ask me if I have a brother. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like, why Can't would you talk actually? About my sister. Yeah, or, yeah. It's like, do you have a brother or a or a, a do you have a biological brother or sister? That has, that can be the only question that Kirk actually asks Spock at any yeah. point in time, because anything else would have made Spock reveal that he has siblings. Yeah, two of them that never came up in a, in a million years. Never. <laughs> it's just, Kirk is just a shitty friend. Spock saved this man's life earlier in the film. Yeah, like literally saved his life. Probably twice now, at least. Come on. Like, that would have been funny if then, like, Spock looks at him. He's like, uh, Jim, what's my uh, favorite food? Gawk? I hate Gawk, Jim. Gawk is for idiots. Oh. <laughs> it's your dick. It's your cum, Jim. They Don't go, you care? Yeah, what was that What was that game show? The, uh, oh, the, the the dating or the newlyweds? Yeah, the newlyweds. Oh, yeah, newlyweds. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they're, they're basically, you know, they're basically married at this point. So, yeah, but they, they probably mean, have a, a thruple. They, they probably have a, a common law marriage. Yeah. Well, That's, what about Bones? Or is it a thruple common uh, I think Bones is just like their third that joins in sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes. I mean, he's, he doesn't have to be there all the time. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I mean, he's been with them for the last 10 years. He was retired and like, he's like, yeah. God damn it. They drafted me again. But uh, Kirk's Kirk's asshole just tastes so sweet. I can't get away. So I guess they're all why com- can't I quit you? God damn it. I guess they're all common law married together. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, they should be on the newlyweds game and Kirk would lose. Oh, he would lose so bad. Yeah. Cause he only cares about Kirk. Like he would answer all the questions about Kirk yeah. correctly. <laughs> yeah. They ask Spock a question about Kirk and Kirk answers it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so 
McCoy tries to tell Kirk that Cybok took away his pain, but Kirk tries to tell him that being a doctor should know better than anyone that pain can't be taken away with a wave of magic with a wave of a magic wand. The good and bad experiences in one's life is what makes us who we are. If one loses that, they lose themselves, which is a really weird way to talk about trauma, and I think a wrong way. Yeah. It's like, like if you forget your trauma, you forget who you are. <laughs> Just bury it down and don't address it. Yeah. Like, it, what? <laughs> you got rid of your PTSD? <laughs> Were you even in the war? Like, what? Dude, fuck off. Yeah, like, so the alternative was better for um, uh, Bones to die always haunted by the fact he didn't know if he made the right decision. Yeah. With pulling it. And he's like on his deathbed. He's like, I feel just like when I, I think I murdered my father. Why? Kirk's like, what? <laughs> you had a father. <laughs> I didn't know that about you. Fuck you. Kirk. He like reaches his hands up <laughs> in a feeble attempt to strangle him before. He You're the away. real green blooded bastard. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Kirk is animate that he doesn't want his pain taken away and that he needs it, which is the most fucked up toxic male shit I've ever heard. So wait, so, but that's also implying, so do, do, do any of the people that were, had their pain taken away different from going on forward? Like, no, no, they're fine in the next film. They're fine in the next film. If, if anything, much better adjusted <laughs> yeah. because they've dealt with their traumas. Yeah, it's not like they become... They be, they become like this whole other person. They, right? Yeah. That that'd be amazing if in, if in the next film Kirk like gives him an order and they're like, "Yeah, we kind of like Cyborg better. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we'll take your orders anymore. You're kind of a dick." They have an effigy of of Cyborg on the on the, on the, on the, on the burning, bridge, burning Vulcan incense. Yeah, burning Vulcan incense, and it's just like a picture of him surrounded by <laughs> offerings, and they're just like, "Oh, Cyborg!" <laughs> like, what's that? What do you want us to do, Cyborg? <laughs> I think I think the effigy is speaking to us, sir. <laughs> it says "fuck Kirk" in Morse code. <laughs> you know Morse code, right? <laughs> yeah, is that what it says? Morse code, motherfucker. <laughs> um, Kirk is a man who refuses to go to therapy. <laughs> At that moment, a hers voice comes over the intercom from the bridge, and that the Enterprise is in approach of the Great Barrier. Cybok regrets that he couldn't help Kirk, but believes he has swayed Spock and McCoy to his cause and asks them to join him on the bridge. McCoy agrees to go, but Spock still refuses to join, saying he belongs right where he is by Kirk's side, which is pretty gay. <laughs> Cybok doesn't understand, but Spock explains that while Cybok is his brother, he does not know Spock. Mm. Since the time he wasn't outcast boy on Vulcan until now Spock has found himself and his place and knows who he is and he cannot go with Cybok. This also now rings true to McCoy who chooses to stay with Kirk and Cybok. Oh, sorry with Kirk and Spock. Cybok with a smile allows them to remain because he's a chill dude. Mm -hmm. Kirk is still unconvinced that the enterprise will survive the trip through the great barrier. Cybok challenges Kirk to be convinced that his vision was true if they do survive. Cybok claims his vision came from God, who waits for the Enterprise on the other side of the Great Barrier. Kirk cannot believe his ears and claims that Cybok is mad. Cybok, allowing the possibility to exist, says that they will see. 
And you know, boom, boom. I, you know, I think that's a great uh, point to do an intermission. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, so uh, with the intermission, uh, do you want to pee or anything first? Or do you want to just go into the Klingon word of the day? Yeah, go in the. Let's do it. Klingon word of the day. All right. Here's your first week doing Klingon <laughs> word of the day, baby. It's the Klingon word of the day. Today's Klingon word of the day is Vark, which is a verb meaning dock, as in docking a spaceship. To use it in a sentence, Gowron says he has a meaty foreskin on his upper cock. So we're going to Vark later for honor. Wonderful. Or you could say, you know, Scotty's going to Vark his haggis and Uhura's <laughs> space dock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or Earth space dock, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. You think uh, you think she shaves the pussy? Because we know Scotty does not do any maintenance on that garden. No, 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 no. He's no groundskeeper, Willie. <laughs> uh, he's he's wild and free, and you know what? He likes his women that way. No, uh, yeah, you're probably right. He's probably like, you know what? I want the pussy afro of her. Grow it. <laughs> Give me that disco pussy, baby. Hell's yeah. Hell yeah. It's a. It's, Good man. Good man. Good man. All right. With that, uh, do you want to just jump right back into Star Trek V? Let's do it. The the final frontier? Yes. That's the one. Here we go. Now, if I could, I'd make a deal with Claw. If I'd blast God with his phasers. Star Trek V, the final frontier. By Will Shatner. We're back with the Enterprise, and it is on the verge of the Great Barrier. The bridge crew, along with the three ambassadors, Cybok and his followers, are awestruck by the swirling vortex of blue and green colored electrical energy discharging before them on the view screen, which looks a lot like... Uh, I don't know, like Undertaker's '90s or early 2000s, like uh, jumbotron yeah. screens, like with mm-hmm. a with a stupid lightning and the smoke and shit. It definitely is like a very easy um, uh, special effect to use. That's pretty cheap. <laughs> it definitely looked cheap. You're not yeah. wrong. Definitely yeah. cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sulu ominously reminds Cybok that it's been said that no ship can survive the Great Barrier, but Cybok disagrees. The danger is an illusion. Uh, Chekhov cannot get any sensor readings on the phenomena, saying, is it there or isn't it? Cybok is convinced it isn't, and orders Sulu to enter the barrier. The Enterprise engages her impulse engines and breaches the barrier. The journey through is not dangerous at all, uh, and the starship easily completes it. Like, the starship shakes for, like, two seconds. Yeah, there's nothing, there's no, nothing explodes. No, no. The only thing that explodes is, uh, you know, her uh, and uh, Scotty are in the lower decks. Oh, yeah. He's giving her that haggis raw, dude. Fuck, yeah, I'm so happy for him. Oh, yeah, he's fucking painting that disco (laughs) disco bush white, baby. (laughs) But, yeah, like, and, yeah, that's not what makes sense to me is, like, there's all this, like, 
there's always like this like you know build up in like uh, that you're supposed to get excited about something and then like, yeah, just do it very easily. And there's no, and then supposedly for like a bizarre uh, thing in space, like a, you know, like there's no uh, uh, science ships or like no. uh, stations that are like there to observe and study it on a full time right. basis. Right. There's this, this place that like supposedly no starship can cross and the center of the universe. And no one's like finds no. this to be like, you think it like, it would be like one of the major, like uh, um, tourist, <laughs> just like just locations in the entire universe. Like it would be something that everyone would want to go to whether or not they, worship it in some sort of like um and, and like have this like sort of mysticism around it or just like there for ser- scientific curiosity i mean not not just that but i mean from a filmmaking and storytelling perspective yeah why would you make so much build up to this and then there's zero climax at all it's like oh well, can we even make it through oh no it's fine, oh, it's well, fine. i think it's this fine. is the old, i mean this is the point where they run out of money Right, exactly, but so, but it's like a whole film, like talking about like something mystic and something, be like, oh, you can't go there, and then like yeah. you go there, and that's fine. And no one else in the universe finds this thing interesting at all. No, like yeah, nobody. You, you think there would be like a million different uh, species all gathering at this one location? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I would. I think that would be pretty cool. Maybe I would take a, I would take a little vacation there. True. As the distortion clears, a planetoid appears through the mist, which looks to be made of pure energy or maybe like a small star or something. Yeah, it looks like it's on fire. Yeah, it's pretty cool, like blue fire. Uh, Kirk, mm-hmm. Spock, and McCoy watch from the observation lounge and are awestruck, as, as is the rest of the crew. Kirk touches a plaque that reads, To boldly go where no man has gone before. And this is the moment I think the movie starts to get terrible. But also, (laughs) this is the moment it starts to get hilarious. Like the, I think the plaque moment. Like when he touches the plaque, it's like him touching a button where everything just turns into bullshit, (laughs) and it's fucking hilarious. It just touches. It's like that's actually what flushes the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, and then all then all the shit goes. But yeah, like we're about to enter like a bunch of philosophical like God questions, and there's nothing about God leading up to this. No, and like it, even like even Cybox Cybox just announced that he had a vision from God, which like yeah, I could understand them being a lot more skeptical about his motives and everything if he said he was like a prophet from God from the very beginning. Yeah, then it would make sense why like everyone's so skeptical because you know we've established that you know organized religion for the most part is like nah. Yeah, it doesn't make sense why if if he's such a true believer why he would keep it a secret. That's very so true. Long, and then, like, wait for a dramatic moment to reveal. Yeah, because if, if he can get everyone on his side by just, like, ha- having them reveal their pain, like, they should trust him about other things, right? Yeah. You'd think. Because he's obviously able to do magic shit with people. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, there's no nothing, like, preparing us for, you know, meeting God. No. <laughs> no. So, uh, Cyborg believes this planet is Shakari. Uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy return to the bridge. Cybok says the ship needs its captain and returns command to Kirk with no conditions as he believes that even though Kirk didn't believe Cybok before, what they have discovered would seem to indicate he was right all along and Kirk won't refuse to investigate it. His assumption is correct and Kirk agrees to take a landing party down to the planet via a shuttlecraft and asks that the rest of Cybok's followers remain aboard until he has determined exactly what they have found. Well, don't just stand there. 
God's a busy man, Kirk says, <laughs> just prior to entering the turbo lift, which is actually an okay line. Yeah, that's all right. The shuttlecraft Copernicus. Once again, why are they naming like all of the shuttlecrafts after like famous philosophers and shit? It's super weird. Yeah. And then like the the fucking the 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 ships are like Grism and shit. Like what? <laughs> Who? Um. So the Copernicus heads down to the planet carrying Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Cybok. The big four, baby. As they descend, Spock discovers that some external force has taken control of the shuttlecraft and lands it for them. Kirk wants to bring a phaser along with him, but Cybok recommends he leaves it behind by just shaking his head. Kirk agrees, saying, All right, we'll play it your way. As if he's going to fucking shoot God. <laughs> hey, you never That's know. his plan. Let's take a phaser along to meet a being that just like took control of our entire ship and easily has enough power to kill us. Also, but given like what they've encountered in the past, like this is like barely top 10 weird, all all powerful beings that they've encountered. True. But don't try to shoot God. Um, So the four make their way down a mountain range, which makes me wonder like, why didn't the, 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 the force or whatever transported them to the planet, like and carry their ship down. Why didn't it drop them off where it wanted them? Thought they could use some exercise. And also, why do they think they have to like climb a mountain and go somewhere? They have no idea where they're going. Yeah, there's no. They indica- never establish like, oh well, the looks like there's an anomaly or a, a, a magnetic force no. in this place. Let's go here or anything. It's just like let's just the let's take a hike, everyone, and then we'll shout at a certain it, point and hope did, God comes. It did feel like maybe they were following Cybox lead, who by the way also shaved off his awesome mullet. He did. He did. He cut his hair to meet God, which is like yeah. Kind of lame. Yeah, like, oh, God, look good, good for God. Yeah, wow. like, like, God cares. God has a shitty fucking full-ass beard. <laughs> yeah. He never shaves. But yeah, I guess they were just following Cybox lead and like, okay, well, this guy knows where he's going, I guess. How would he? I don't know. So as he, the crew watch in amazement prophet. from the bridge, no one notices on the sensors that Claw's Klingon Bird of Prey has entered into sensor range. And for some reason, there's like nothing on the sensors that alert them either. It's just. Yeah, not there's nothing screen. like. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah, right. It, it, yeah. Yeah. So Cybok calls out to whatever force might uh, might be there yelling. We have traveled far, but he gets no response. Uh, with nothing apparently there within about 10 seconds, Spock attempts to console Cybok and uh, Kirk tries to recall them to the Enterprise. Yeah, but I mean, then they, they search for a whole five minutes. That's enough time. Uh, yeah, that's that. That seems right. Oh well, God's dead. Later. Yeah. <laughs> Nietzsche was right. Um, yeah. Oh, well, oh, God's not dead. Did you hear? <laughs> you know, Kirk Cameron and all that. Oh yeah. I mean, they have three <laughs> movies about it now. Yeah. Um, so Spock attempts to console Cybok, but the ground begins to shake. Large pillars explode out of the ground to form a large amphitheater-like enclosure that's almost like a rib cage. Mm. Uh, and the sky comp- turns completely dark. Uh, this set is pretty sick in my opinion, although you thought it looked cheap and dumb. I thought, yeah, the rocks look like fiberglass painted gray. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, uh, that's cool to me. That, that's right, that rocks. Yeah. So as the four move in to investigate, uh, and a blue pillar of light bursts from within the enclosure far up into the sky and outstretching past the Enterprise into orbit. The booming voice of an old man calls out to them. McCoy wonders if it is the voice of God, and the voice responds, One voice, 
many faces. And uh, that is any women faces in there. Right. And then a bunch of faces of entirely men, mostly with beards, flash in this like. There was a weird guy with a bat nose or something. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Probably an alien. Yeah. Uh, and then um, uh, a Greek Santa Claus appears, who <laughs> was also a guy who played Admiral Hansen in TNG. Cool. And he curls his beard too, like his like the beard obviously. Has oh, it's like, so fake! It's yeah. so fu- It's the fakest like <laughs> mall Santa Claus beard I've ever seen. It's hilarious. Yeah, he had the he had the obviously he had curlers in it mm-hmm. at some point. Cybok is convinced and vindicated. The entity claims that the journey to reach him could not have been an easy one. Cybok agrees that it wasn't. It took a starship to breach the Great Barrier. As if, how else were they going to get there? Yeah. Uh, the entity wonders if this starship could carry his wisdom beyond the barrier. Cybok agrees that it could, and the entity makes claim to the Enterprise. Cybok jubilantly calls the vessel his chariot. Kirk, however, is less than convinced and says, Oh, excuse me. Oh, excuse me. I want to ask a question. <laughs> what does God need with a starship? Seriously, one of the best lines. Which is unintentionally both the funniest line in Star Trek and also kind of amazing. Yeah, it rules. I I love that line. I stand it. (laughs) We stand that line on this Mm, podcast. Go fuck yourself if you don't wonder, what does God need with a starship? I also don't wonder, wonder why they didn't have a greater level of skepticism anyway, considering all the powerful energy-based aliens that they've encountered in their time cyborg dude cyborg <laughs> took everyone's pain away yeah but still it's kirk and um and everyone else but still but kirk's a jerk so he's, jerk. he's the only one with skepticism up until this point yeah. really yeah so the entity continues to boast that it will do with the enterprise what it will do with the enterprise but kirk presses on and repeats his question the entity asks who kirk thinks he is again kirk is incredulous don't you know who I am? <laughs> I'm I'm the other god. I'm the other. God. I'm the god of this movie. Uh, it was foretold that my my crew would would betray me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he wants to know, like, wouldn't he know if it were really God? Cybok tells the entity that Kirk simply has his doubts. The entity is outraged that Kirk would have the audacity to doubt its existence. Kirk simply states he seeks proof, but bones. Uh, cautions Kirk not to ask the Almighty for any ID, which is actually a great line. Oh, yeah, that's good. Uh, the entity answers all of Kirk's questions by blasting him backwards with an electrical charge emanating from its eyes. Kirk, almost mockingly, asks why God is angry. Cybok cannot believe that he would attack his friend, Kirk, like this. Spock presses Kirk's issue on as the entity has not answered anything and repeats the question. What does God need with a starship? The entity attacks Spock as it did to Kirk. It then turns its attention to McCoy and dares him to doubt it as well, which is like, what? Come on. You're (laughs) ruining your goodwill here, buddy. Mm -hmm. Uh, McCoy claims that he would doubt any God who would inflict pain for his own pleasure. Oh, doubt me as a god there can you imagine though if they did take they're just like yeah okay and just put him inside the uh inside the runabout yeah right <laughs> so he's just like this, this big, big ass face 
yeah. I guess we can put him in the cargo bay. Yeah, uh, give me some room. Move a little. Like, well, what would he have done even? Is, like, is, your, is your seat all the way up? <laughs> Just can you move it a little forward? My, 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 God, my chin's cramping back here. Yeah, this <laughs> ship really isn't made for God, is it? All right. Is there any snacks? <laughs> <laughs> I've been down here a long time. Good. I feel a little, feel a little sick. You got a barf bag? You got a barf bag, anybody? Feel a little queasy. I've never been on one of these things before. What does God need with a barf bag? <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, like, what was, what was how is this going to happen? Come on, uh, the head giant. <laughs> the entity mocks Cybok's vision of Shakari as a uh, vision that Cybok created himself and morphs itself into an image of a blue scale Cybok and demands that he give him the Enterprise or he will destroy all four of them. It is now apparent that he is not the god of Shakari, Spock says, or any other god, but merely a malevolent life form imprisoned on this planet behind the Great Barrier. And it simply needs the Enterprise to escape. Which I don't really understand, but okay. Yeah, it doesn't... Yeah. (laughs) Cyborg turns to Spock and cannot believe any of it. He claims his own vanity. And arrogance created the situation, and now he must do what he has to to ensure that Spock, Kirk, and McCoy are protected from the entity. Yeah. Which is hero behavior. Oh, yeah. He begs Spock to forgive him and holds up his hand in the Vulcan salute. Spock returns it, and they touch hands as Cybok asks the Entity about his pain. The Entity is caught off guard by the question. You want some pain, brother? Yeah. (laughs) I got a prediction. Pain! Pain! Uh, Cybok claims it runs deep and, like, walks straight into the Entity and begins fucking fighting God, fist-fighting God. Yeah. Which is the sickest shit anyone can has ever done in any Star Trek. Yeah, that's that's how I want to die. Cybok fucking rules. He like rules. I, we love Cybok. We do. Uh this is now Cybok Trek. <laughs> it's got pretty much the same letters as our original show. So yeah. all the same letters. We're just out a few. Yeah. Why, wait. Yeah, and B, even, and all the on all the K. shit that he that Kirk put him through. Because yeah, Kirk he doesn't do anything. Kirk's a sissy little Doesn't bitch. do a single thing in this except complain. And almost die a bunch. <laughs> and almost die a bunch. And and still, like, and this guy who he's been nothing but rude to. Yeah, just he's like, you can have free therapy and you can meet God. And Kirk's like, fuck you. Yeah. And this, I don't want to talk about my dad. <laughs> and then, like, this dude just, like, straight up sacrifices himself yeah. to fist fight. Uh, fist fight God and then like dies and and because he wants to make sure that they all get away safe. Fuck you. Like, R.I.P. Cybok. You, R. I. P. you Cybok. were the realist one. Mm-hmm. As they struggle, Kirk on his communicator orders Sulu and Chekhov aboard the Enterprise to fire a photon torpedo at the encompassing entity. Chekhov protests as Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are too close, but Kirk tells him to fire immediately. The Enterprise opens fire and the torpedo obliterates the amphitheater. Spock laments about Cybok, who has been lost in the blast, but the entity has not been completely destroyed now. Oh, he didn't get to take his uh, his little force ghost into him. Bummer. Yeah. I wonder if he got his foreskin. <laughs> Kirk and the others make a hasty escape back to the Copernicus, but Spock finds that the thrusters have been rendered inoperative as the entity violently shakes the shuttlecraft. Kirk flips open his communicator and begs with Scotty to tell him that he's finally repaired the transporter. 
Scotty replies that it has partial power and might be able to beam up the two of them. Kirk tells Scotty to bring up Spotty, Spock and McCoy, uh, the latter of which protests all the way up. Back aboard, Spock instructs Scotty to now bring up the captain, but before he can, Claw's bird of prey opens fire on the unshielded Enterprise, severely damaging it. Now, Kirk finds himself face-to-face with the entity outside who has manifested itself in the cockpit of the Copernicus. The captain takes off running with the entity in pursuit. Spock and McCoy return to the bridge of the Enterprise, which is in a state of disarray. Claw hails them and claims he hasn't destroyed them yet because he has come for James T. Kirk and promises to spare the lives of the crew if Kirk is handed over as a hostage. Spock claims that Captain Kirk is not among them. He is on the planet below. Claw wants his coordinates, but Spock has a better idea. He asks General Cord for his assistance, as he is Claw's superior officer. Cord is skeptical about what good he can do. While he might have been a great military military leader at one time, he is now a, quote, foolish old man. Spock implores Cord to at least try and rehails Captain Claw, stating that someone wishes to speak with him. On the surface of the planet, Kirk is pursued by the Entity. With nowhere to hide from it, Kirk stares down his impending death as the Entity closes in for the kill, when Claw's bird of prey suddenly closes in and destroys it with a thunderous blast from its disruptors, which is like... One of the worst blue screen, green screen, whatever shots I've ever seen. Yeah, and keep it, and also they destroy um, God with less blast than they did the uh, Pioneer Probe. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the, yeah, which is just amazing. Yeah. Um. So, um, Kirk realizes that the Klingons have uh, obviously come for him. Uh, themselves as they beam him aboard. The captain is escorted to the bridge where, to his great surprise, General Corps has ordered Captain Claw to apologize to Kirk. The attack on the Enterprise was not authorized by the Klingon Empire and was, I, in fact, an act of war. I feel like this would create a whole conflict with, like, the Klingon... With, <laughs> within the Klingons. It's like... Like... They pretty much strip away Claw's honor... <laughs> Just like, yeah, which is sick. They making should. him, making him, ter- making him, uh, making him have to uh, grovel and apologize to Kirk. Like, there's no recovering from that. He should, he would probably commit ritual suicide. Yeah, like a fucking seppuku with a batleth. Yeah, That'd be and sick as hell. and also like at this point, Cord, he's like, has he just been like resigned to just joining the barge of the dead? Pretty much because he's there's no way he's going to be dying in battle anytime soon. This would have been like a prime time to do that. Uh, well, I mean, maybe he has, because of this thing, maybe he has some of his honor back and they will send him back into battle instead of being a shitty ambassador or whatever. Yeah, maybe. And also, like, as an ambassador, maybe his enemy is bad diplomacy. Oh, shit. Because you remember, as, as Worf states, like, you, you don't have to face, like, a literal enemy in battle. Like, farmers, like, you know, uh, starvation mm. is, is their enemy and they can uh, be victorious in battle against them oh yeah you know which is a cool way to think like about the things. klingon lawyers yeah have to win cases yeah exactly <laughs> like injustice is their enemy and mm-hmm. they must be victorious in battle it's true honor um uh, 
So Cord entreats Kirk to meet the new gunner of the Bird of Prey. From the gunnery chair, Spock spins around and welcomes Kirk aboard. It was Spock who saved Kirk's life from God. Kirk, so Spock killed God. <laughs> Spock killed God, which is sick as fuck. Mm. Uh, Kirk tells him that he thought he was going to die, echoing their earlier conversation around the campfire about the beans. Um, Spock, likewise, <laughs> tells him that they're going to die die shitting themselves, right? And it, it's like, Captain, I just, I just let go on a sleepy bag. <laughs> I'm going to fucking kill you, Spock. That's my goddamn <laughs> sleeping, sleeping bag. bag. Just fill it with beans. <laughs> You got the whiskey shits in my sleeping bag again? Son God damn bitch. it, Smock. You can't drink human alcohol, you dumb piece of shit. <laughs> you need termites. You can't handle any fucking booze, though. <laughs> um, so, uh, Kirk tells Spock that he thought he was going to die, echoing their earlier conversation around the campfire. Spock likewise tells him that it was impossible as the captain was never alone. Kirk, feeling like he wants to hug Spock, Moves to do so, but Spock advises against it, not in front of the Klingons. I love that line. It was, yeah. That was a good line. It's like, they'll, they'll take it as a sign of weakness, Jim, and then they'll <laughs> gang rape us. I've seen it on a Discovery Channel program. I, I, I heard it on some talk radio on the subspace. That, 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 uh, Bones is always telling me about this. <laughs> <laughs> he tells me how they really are. <laughs> All the races. Uh, aboard the Enterprise, the Starfleet crew hosts a reception in the observation lounge of for the Galactic Army of Light. The three ambassadors and Claw's crew, reflecting on their voyage to the center of the galaxy, even Claw himself offers a sign of respect to Captain Kirk, one warrior to another, which Kirk reciprocates. They suck each other's dicks. It's pretty mm -hmm. cool. And uh, David Warner is like hitting on the Romulan. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. You gotta fuck that Romulan. As McCoy and Spock speculate on whether or not God is actually out there, Kirk postulates that while God might not be out in space, perhaps he goes with them wherever they are in the human heart, oh. not dirty Vulcan hearts. They don't <laughs> get God. I feel like, I mean, they're supposed to be all atheists. Like, Yeah, but not... Not William Shatner. Uh, he, he like hates televangelists, but obviously believes in like a Western version of God. Yeah. That's not a law. Yeah. Um, as Spock mourns the death of his brother, Kirk comforts him by relating that he once lost a brother too. Mm. While McCoy thinks that he's referring to his late brother, George Samuel Kirk, who he actually lost, the captain adds that he was lucky enough to get that brother back. Implying he's talking about Spock, who he cares more about than his biological, biological brother. brother yeah. uh, McCoy challenges Kirk's earlier claim at the campfire that men like us don't have families, but Kirk concedes that he was wrong. They're all back around the campfire again. And Spock and McCoy are his family. Oh, The three of them... Oh, yeah, they're, they're the common-law married throuple. Yeah, the, the three of them resume their shore leave to Yosemite, having gay sex and <laughs> shitting and sleeping bags. <laughs> this time, with Spock singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat and playing the song on the Vulcan harp, mm -hmm. and Bones, for some reason, refusing. Yeah, like, why was... why was uh, 
Why was Bones being such a little asshole there? I think he was fucking drunk. I think he was too drunk to fucking <laughs> keep a beat. He's like, fuh, 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 fuh. probably the real reason is they probably fuh. filmed that scene like five times or fifteen times. He's like, I'm not doing another one. I'm not doing another. Row your boat. Fuck you. Yeah. You're not paying me enough for this fucking toddler ass bullshit. I'm a real actor. God damn it. Son of a bitches. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna die. <laughs> Green blooded sons of bitches. <laughs> Fuck you, Harv. I'm not doing that <laughs> shit again. Either way, it's a fun way to end, I guess. Yeah, so um, what do you think about this film? Well, uh, let, let's talk about some of the aftermath of this film. Uh, yeah. uh, it, it, it's known as the film that nearly killed the franchise. So, <laughs> on, uh, That's fair. Yeah, yeah. On uh, a uh, almost $25 million budget, it made back... Uh, just a little more than half that worldwide. Whoa. Making it the least successful uh, Star Trek film up to this point. In fact, like, you know, uh, dollar for dollar more unsuccessful than the motion picture was seen, which was seen as dismal at the time. That's funny because, yeah, I mean, like, like the motion picture Mm-hmm. And had the had visuals and it did. music. It did. It had production value. Had production. Like value. the reason that movie failed is because it's just like too slow. Yeah, too slow. And it didn't fail. It was a, a you know a commercial success. It's just like not what they wanted it to be. Yeah. It wasn't cheap enough, and it didn't make enough money. Whereas Star Trek Four was half the cost of mm-hmm. Star Trek One and made the same amount of money, which yeah. is a much bigger deal. You mm-hmm. know? This one more successful. Uh, oh, sorry. This one cost more money than Star Trek Four and made like a third of the money it did, which is not good. Yeah, I mean, there you could tell that they did a lot. There was some some corner skips. Yeah, <laughs> like there was it, it. Like it wasn't a satisfying. No, no. Movie. And you, yeah, and you could tell. Like, I mean, obviously the writer strike like impacted yeah. it a lot, and mm-hmm. uh. Oddly enough, I feel like one of the more surprising parts that wasn't completely incompetent was the direction. I feel like yeah. Shatner didn't do a terrible do- job at direction. And in as much, most of the crew said they had at least a fun time making the film. Yeah. Um, and like even Sulu said that he didn't regret coming back for this film, yeah. which he thought he would coming into it because he hates William Shatner. Yeah. Uh, rightfully so, because William Shatner is a piece of shit. Yeah. Big baby, but, but yeah, there's there's no the themes in this were not too clear, not clear, not consistent, and the fact no. is once again, Kirk is the biggest villain in the film. Yeah, well, he doesn't do anything. Like everything happens around him, and he and he just observes, and he doesn't do anything to directly affect the events in the ba- movie. Yeah, and basically, Kirk's big thing in this movie is he refuses. To to go, yeah, he refuses to get therapy and go where no man has gone before. He refuses yeah. to explore and get therapy this entire film, yeah. and that's and then he like almost dies a couple times, and yeah. that's his whole fucking arc. Really, all he does is dig his heels in. Yeah, but yeah, like the movie starts off. It should have started off with more with grander questions about God. And yeah, it way. could have been more philosophical and more it interesting. It, it, in that it way. begins and ends with the family thing. Right. And and sure, like we had a little bit of family thing with, you know, Cybok there, who also I think should have had more time with Spock. He should have had more time with Spock. And honestly, like, I don't know if they should have killed him. Yeah, they should have kept him around. Yeah, I really like Cybok. I hope they do something really cool with him in um, uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yeah, that'd be fun. And that's the thing, like, you know, it's like watching this and, like, just thinking about how, like, you know, 
episode 10 of strange new worlds was way more cinematic mm-hmm. and uh more a more satisfying story yes and it was like an episode of of television right and this <laughs> i mean this is just like it is totally inconsistent i would i would honestly say the first half to three quarters of this film I think is a pretty good movie. Yeah. It's just the third act. Everything falls apart. Yeah. There's definitely a dip in quality that happened. That's very, that's very uh, noticeable. Very. And, um, and doesn't really recover from that. And instead it just seems like they're just trying to get the movie over as fast as possible. Right. And like all of the elements, it tries to almost like replicate from the previous film, you know, the camaraderie, the, uh, the witty, the witticisms, the banter, the stuff like that. Everything is just like a pale vision of that. It's like everything in this film is just not quite as good as Star Trek Four, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, there there is some good there. You know, we've said you know there are the funny lines that happen in it. There are, and there's a couple funny moments, but they're not nearly as funny as Star Trek Four. No, I don't think. Like for the most part, yeah, just seemed like a bizarre addition. It like, does, but like when you know, like Paramount was obligated to do this in order to fulfill contractual obligations with yeah. William Shatner, and everything makes sense. And they had to do it during, a, during a writer strike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they should probably should have waited or, gay, or relented to the writers. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Um, but yeah, um, it's not my favorite Star Trek film. It's one of no. the ones I probably watched the most after my twenties. Mm. Just because I think it makes a really fun companion piece to four. I honestly like the the film run of uh, four or five more than I do of three four. Mm. I'm not a. I'm just not the hugest fan of how slow fucking um, search for Spock is, and also like I don't know. This one is a little more fun and yeah. funny. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. There are there are funny moments that yeah. happen, and but yeah, it would have been nice if. They could have punched up um, the special effects a little, just with like even like uh, just visual effects with like the makeup and mm. like background characters and just you know even yeah and the visual effects obviously looked very very cheap. Yes, they did, <laughs> and I, I think that that that's really honestly where a bunch of the film falls apart is like the if the effects were good, I think this film would be like rated at least a point or two higher on like yeah. IMDb whatever. and more and more consistent theming throughout the whole thing. It's like. Yeah, like if they made it just like a treatise, a philosophical treatise on the existence of God, that would have been cool. Yeah. But the word God, I don't think is mentioned until like the third act of the film. Yeah. Which is like, oh, okay, now we, now we're going after God. Yeah, and and there's a lot of time spent like, um, like, uh, the main bad thing that Cybox doing is just like giving people therapy, giving people therapy, and you know, you know, supposedly brainwashing them. When it should have, he should have been having more, uh, like direct confrontation and arguments over over the existence of God, and, right, and right, just like and and faith in general, and just like and believing, yeah, and really like just try to challenge and instead of like try to like, you know, make Kirk uh, question himself and mm. his own beliefs, and but that never happens. Like Kirk stands pretty like. Yeah, because Kirk never says, like, there is no God. He's not an atheist in here. He's no. just like, I don't think that's God. Yeah. Like, which is like. Which is fair. Like, it's, I it's so lukewarm, though. Like, no one in the film is an atheist, and no one is protesting, like, God, there's no fucking God. Yeah. Everyone's like, eh, there could be God. But yeah, they could have, they, they, like, they, there, w- there could have been room for him to, yeah, just be like, try, you know, fight it with, like, you know, 
facts and observations just be like you know we fucking met facts uh, and logic facts and logic you know we fucking met uh abraham lincoln floating through space dude like <laughs> oh you mean uh shinzo abraham lincoln <laughs> shinzo abraham lincoln it's like yeah like this isn't god dude it's just some some malevolent spirit or whatever the fuck it is mm-hmm. it's like you know we've met we've met weirder stuff out here in space dude. much weirder stuff and so but there's not any room for that kind of like you know th- or them you know trying to like make make a cyborg question his own beliefs and then like and then like some sort of conflict arising from that you know what would have been perfect is in the end you know how like the the god figure or whatever the entity turns into cyborg and then he has mm-hmm. to like fist fight himself it'd be cooler if it turned into shinzo abe and then he's like <laughs> i've got just the thing My, for this battle uh, che- check off shinzo abe <laughs> <laughs> uh sick yeah so i don't know like at this point, how would you rate the films one through five? How do you, how do you think they stack? Not, so we're not including six, not yet. One through five, I definitely would rate four at the top. Yep, me too. Um, followed by, I think followed by Khan, then one, mm-hmm. then three, then five. Same, but honestly, I think I like five more than three. Okay, just slightly. Yeah. It's it's a, it's more entertaining. It is, yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. There, I mean, like, Search for Spock, I think, is objectively a better film. Mm-hmm. Like the the script is better, acting's better, production's better. Mm-hmm. It's just this is more fun, and I've I've yeah. also just watched this more. Yeah, I so it's got nostalgia too. But I think that I would rate six pretty high. Yeah, six rocks. But we'll get into that. Sometime in the near future. One day. Indeed. Uh, With that, do you want to jump into subspace transmissions? Fuck yeah, I do. Here we go. Subspace transmissions. Subspace transmissions. Hey, this is subspace transmissions. Spencer's not here this week, as you might have noticed. He is uh, at uh, Psycho Las Vegas, seeing some bands and stuff. He's getting dick surgery. Yes, getting getting <laughs> dick surgery from Bones McCoy. Getting a new Bones McCoy. Um, this is a part of the show where we read, uh, you know, what other people said on the internet about certain things. In this case, uh, we're reading nothing but letterbox reviews. Hell yeah! About Star Trek V: The Final Frontier. Let's start with this one. Uh, Matt Lynch says on May twentieth, twenty thirteen, three stars. Ill-conceived, charitably speaking, sabotaged by poor planning with attendant studio-mandated budget cuts and hubris, Shatner's insistence on directing, then everyone's conflicting script approval, and then driven over a cliff by sheer circumstance, both a WGA and a Teamster strike. Mm -hmm. There's still an actual Star Trek movie in here. Going on a physical search for God even a reductive and cheaply dramatized one like this seems like a natural progression for characters who have literally cheated time and death. The core trio of Kirk, Spock and McCoy still bounce off each other. So well watching them sing row, row, row your boat. I actually find pretty charming. Sue me. I agree. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I like this one stops dead in its tracks more than once to psychoanalyze the crew. The flashback of McCoy euthanizing his father is particularly intense. There's plenty here with which to be disappointed. It's a mess, but not a thoughtless one. I don't disagree. Yeah. And you know, three stars, I'd probably give this film like a three stars. It's not a 
total stinker like a lot yeah. of people think. Actually, that that is a good point. Like the 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 part with McCoy, I think is probably like it's one great. of the, one it's of the really strongest good. parts of the film. Mm-hmm. Cuz yeah, that's yeah, that's and that's pretty true and um but yeah, you can definitely tell like there is like a lot of uh plots that were all overlapping and they tried to m- put a lot of different ideas in and then try to make it work. <laughs> yeah. Just uh too many cooks. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. Um, Yarb says, um, last year, the first Trek entry to hit us with the main theme over opening titles, ear candy for sure, but doth the film protest too much? (laughs) Yes. As it turns out, this is Trek under the influence of Dune, the plotting pretentious prologue and unforgivably of star Wars in the whole paradise city slash scuzzy interstellar dive bar setup complete with triple boobed Catwoman yeah. gyrating in Kirk's face. The only person that would complain about the triple boobed Catwoman is a bitch. Yeah. No, we respect our cat girls. Here. Hell yes, we do. <laughs> uh, they have more bravery than our U S Marines desert planets, sure. rudimentary sketches of hard scrabble existence on the fringes of the Federation. These aren't what Trek is about. This one hasn't watched Picard season one. <laughs> what Trek is about is Kirk free soloing El Capitan. <laughs> and if that damn Vulcan hadn't distracted him, then Alex Honnold would have to find something better to do, like maybe a job as an accountant. He's the guy from Free Solo. Mm. Kirk, Spock, and Bones stirring bourbon into their beans and sing-songing around the campfire are what I'm here for. I'm also here for Scotty spending quality time um, oh shit. Uh, quality time with his sonic screwdriver and for the idiotic jet boots slash turbo shaft sequence. But man cannot live on cheese alone. Let's face it. The story is phony baloney. And unlike the voyage home, it never admits this. Cybok the villain is a common or garden shrink working carny tricks on the marks of Nimbus three and then the enterprise. He's also surprisingly ignorant, alleging that the people of your world believed the earth was flat. Columbus proved it was round. Yeah. Which was Galileo, but it was, it was, it was known way before that. Yeah. And also, but also, yeah, that's like the, the level of American schooling at that point too. But he's a fucking Columbus. So Columbus is a Vulcan. Yeah. The Great Barrier turns out to be nothing more than some average special effects, and then they land on the holy planet of uh, Shakari, and it's just Arizona, population <laughs> god, who tries to hitch a ride straight out of there, which is a great line. I, that's why I got this one, is oh, Arizona, rules. population god. That rules. Uh, who tries to hitch a ride straight out of there, and who can blame him? Yeah. Not wrong. Not yeah. wrong review. No one wants to be in fucking Arizona. Yeah, fuck that place. Uh, no, those are all good points. Yep. Screaming note, uh, screening notes says in 2014, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. I wish this movie had been but a dream. I mean, it's not like it's a total nightmare. It has a sort of logical plot progression, which makes sense even if the tonal inconsistencies are often quite jarring. Yeah. If you watch this as a campy sci-fi cult film, I think it might work. The problem is that it frequently seems to be making fun of itself by accident. Kind of yeah. not wrong. 
There's one speech in particular from Cybok about the questions of existence, which is delivered in such a stilted and ham-fisted way that it borders on farce. It's almost like it's trying to be what makes Star Trek a great franchise and simply failing miserably. And as someone looking for the serious and thoughtful side of the franchise, I couldn't help but be disappointed. Kirk. Maybe God's not out there, Bones. Maybe he's right here. Human heart. Spock. (sighs) (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, because like, yeah, it's like, dude. So we're so we're establishing that like God does exist at the end. They kind of wax poetical on it, and they're yeah. like, "Well, he may exist out there, but he's not. That's yeah. not God." It just feels like shit that that's probably written on a pillow or something. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely fucking like Bed Bath and Beyond yeah. pillow shit. Yeah, God's in our heart. Yeah, Spock, we have to live, we have to laugh, and we have <laughs> to love, <laughs> have, and we also have to eat and pray, and once again, love. Spock, did you know I'm a Capricorn? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think our star signs are compatible. Do you want to sleep in my sleeping bag tonight? I promise it's not full of shit beans. <laughs> I'm a Capricorn that works as a as a loss prevention officer, and I, and if you cross me, you will be in trouble. This is one of the Facebook fa- pillows. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> targeted pillow. All right, Fred from uh, I think that's a Puerto Rican flag. Puerto Rican Fred says in 2020, <laughs> Christmas aboard the Enterprise. At its core, the final frontier has the right idea about what a Star Trek film should be. It's deeply flawed, but it's also ambitious and tackles the kind of heavy material that you rarely see in a tentpole franchise property. The odd thing about this is the incongruously breezy way it goes about tackling its imposing thematic concepts. Thankfully, the charm and goodwill of the Enterprise crew once again make palatable even the more outlandish moments that result from this. Clumsy narrative handling aside, there really is a lot about this good-natured but overly cutesy outing. (laughs) Even with its hefty detriments, there is a really good plot in this. So good, in fact, that if I were to pick a trick film to get a redo, this might just be the one I'd go with. <laughs> P.S. The cold open in this might be my favorite in the series. It's such a simple but effective and memorable scene designed to grab the attention of anyone who knows this universe, the characters that populate it. Hmm. Okay. It's good. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I don't disagree with most of that. It's not a good film, but... Yeah. Um... All right. The Sinoman says just uh, earlier this year in April. Oh, wow. Gives a one-star review. This is what happens when you give an egomaniac a movie to direct and star in. (laughs) They make themselves fight God and survive at the expense of every other character in the franchise. I'd like to point out before I get into this that Shatner directed this movie purely because he refused to come back for movie four unless they gave movie five to him, which is already a terrible premise for filmmaking to begin with. It's baffling how someone can star in four movies in this franchise and still have no idea how to write these characters. 
Kirk randomly turns on his crew the moment they offer any different opinions on how to handle Cybok's takeover, which was just great. Bones seemed to love using Vulcan as an insult against Spock now, always has. Mm -hmm. And even Spock himself is illogically dramatic in a way he's never been before. You can tell most of the actors are just as uninterested in this movie as critics were. Not that you can blame them given how hard some of them were sidelined in this. Ahura, the only female crew member, as usual, yeah. is made to do a fan dance in her only significant scene. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Sulu and Chekhov appear maybe once before inexplicably joining with Cybok for reasons that are never explored at all. Surprise, George Takei gets about three seconds of screen time in this movie directed by Will Shatner. <laughs> and Scotty is literally taken the fuck out by a non-moving beam and is barely seen again. Welcome to the Kirk show, folks. Yeah. Unlike everyone else, I didn't actually hate every frame of this, nor do I think these special effects are that awful, although they're definitely a step down from three or four. Mm-hmm. I actually found the 10 minute window where they breach the barrier and explore God's planet really cool and atmospheric. A spark of genuine Star Trek gold in an otherwise distasteful, disasterful movie. Overall, though, this is just a mostly clueless ego trip from a guy who nowadays seems to have been rightfully banished to living in Leonard Nimoy's shadow. <laughs> wow, that's savage, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Like he definitely, like Kirk does have a god complex. Like he's betrayed by his by his uh by his apostles. Yeah. Like yeah, gets kissed on the cheek. Yeah. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. The what I the one I kiss on the dick will be named Kirk. <laughs> you know, Bones. It's really okay. You it's, can it's, just it's fine. You just like say, "Hey, Kirk." Like I'll know mm-hmm. who it is. You know what? You know, I think I know who Kirk is. You don't really have to. Say, the one I suck on the butthole. <laughs> His name is Kirk. No, mm. really. That's not <laughs> the one who I sound with a reusable chopstick on the dick hole. Whoa. Okay, Whoa. Bones. Whoa. That's not okay. You can't do that without consent. I must. You have to know. I, I, the I, one I kidnap and use as my sex slave. I don't want to do any gesture. I don't want to do any gesture. <laughs> that, that's, that would, that would make, you, make you think another person was Kirk. <laughs> It has to be this very specific thing that I do to them. And that's how you'll know. All right. Uh, and I'm actually, the rest, the final three, and I'm going to read here, mm-hmm. are all glowing reviews for the movie. Cause I oh, think, my God. I think this movie, movie deserves some glowing reviews. Yeah, Maybe, sure. Yeah, some counterpoint here. Rainy Dawn says, on November 6, 2016, five fucking stars. Five stars. I do not understand the weak arguments against this movie. Will Shatner plays Captain Kirk in this film just as well as he did in the TV episodes and the other films. So why complain about that with this film? The story is just as good as any other Star Trek film or TV episode. The addition of Cybox, Spock's half-brother, is not much different than Kirk finding out he had a son, David. They have given us more information about each character's past. So what's the problem? I will never, never understand the complaints that some fans have against this movie. Never. This movie is just as humorous as Star Trek IV The Voyage Home 1986. Star Trek has always added some humor to the drama playing out on the screen. Heck, 
Usually at the end of every TV episode, there was a humorous moment that left the audience on an up note, which I liked very, very much. This motion picture has typical Star Trek humor. Why are fans complaining about that with this film? Basically, this film concerns a half-brother of Spock's named Cybok. Cybok is looking for God. He believes he's found him and finds a way to take over the Enterprise to find what or who he believes is God. I love this movie. I really don't care if others think ill of me for loving it so much. Ten out of fucking ten. Whoa. Yeah, well, that's that's good, good, good energy guy. Well, I got an answer for you, sir, why it sucked. It sucked. It was a bad but, but movie. But why? But why? The, I, I mean, the inconsistency. I yeah. Think, more than anything. Yeah, it's just like anticlimactic ending. Like, it's all, all over the place. I actually love this review so much. Actually? Uh, really? No, no, this one here. Uh, oh. El- Elvish says, on November 1st, 2021. No. <laughs> I enjoyed this movie so much. I know the plot is a mess. I know some things make no sense whatsoever. However, I think the main themes concerning God are very in line with the spirit of the original series, actually. Mm. Also, they went camping together. Look, (laughs) they are eating soup. Spock has rocket boots. I don't care that this movie is messy. I love it a lot. The characters just really hold it together for me. Also, goddammit, Kirk is wearing a Go Climb a Rock shirt. <laughs> Camp. Cinema, even. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah, but except they're not eating soup. They're eating beans. They are eating beans. Well, I mean, it's if you pour enough whiskey in there, it's soup, right? It's just oh, yeah. like bean change, soup with whiskey. That cha- that yeah, the whiskey's a broth. Mm. Yeah, think mm. about it. Think about it. So it's like, yeah, it's a bean if you think soup. About, yeah, if you think about whiskey as like a, a condiment or a broth. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, and we'll end we'll end on this review by Alan, who has a whale next to his picture, assuming oh. a humpback whale from uh, the previous mm. film. To a whale of a wife. Oh boy, my wife! <laughs> my wife. Uh, so Alan gives a four and a half star review on March second, twenty nineteen, and says. Every review I read trashes this, and I have had enough. This movie is hilarious slash great, and on this round of rewatches, revealed itself to be my favorite Trek movie. Mm. Bullet point one. Constant terrible dad jokes like, we thought we'd drop in for dinner. Sublime. (laughs) Two. Scotty and Uhura fucking each other out of nowhere. Inspired. That was, yeah, that's awesome. And and still in like and do they in six? I don't think they do. So I mean that just shows like you know they they just... they sixty nine and six. Oh hell yeah! In sixty nine, it just shows that you know they don't believe in relationships. I've never eaten pussy before. This is, really is the undiscovered country. <laughs> the undiscovered cunt. Yeah, you know what I Got him. Uh, bullet point three, the fact that Shatner only got to direct this because he's a baby and has a contract (laughs) that says he gets whatever Nimoy gets my favorite. Yeah, that's pretty good. I probably watch Trek movies for different reasons than most in between trashing this, the mission logs podcast made the point that this is one of Trek's strongest humanitarian statements. And it is, it's about fun 
and having a nice time with your friends. It's the strongest humanitarian. That's what he message. Says. That's what. Not no. the save the whales. <laughs> no, shut up. That's the that's the strongest whaletarian message. That's a very different thing. Oh yeah, the, the strongest cestacean message. I believe. Oh yeah, cestacean. Whatever. Yeah, he's a uh, Kirk is a avowed anti centite. Yes, hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then final line on this, pass the marshmallows. Love that. Love that. Got him. Got him. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, that's what the internet says about this movie. All right. Hell yeah. All right. And I guess with that, it is time to pay some respects to some fallen members of the crew. Oh. Will the away teams pinch? And somebody had to die But thanks a lot Time to beam up To the big red shirt in the sky Today we're remembering a bunch of fallen soldiers Oh shit Lieutenant Leslie Ensign Rizzo And three unknown crewmen gave Rizzo? Lo- an Italian? Um, prob- or a, a fucking uh, mouse muppet Oh yeah Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or a rat muppet Yeah, rat muppet Yeah, yeah. sorry and uh, three unknown crewmen, they all gave the ultimate sacrifice. The men, presumably, although there was one unnamed crew member that died that we never see, so it could have been a woman, mm. all served as security officers aboard the Enterprise under Captain James T. Kirk. All the men died in or on orbit of Argus X, succumbing to injuries and maladies caused by a mysterious cloud creature from the planet. The mystery of Lieutenant Leslie's death remains a mystery, however, as after his expiration, he is seen walking around the planet and is even called by name. So rest in peace among the stars, Lieutenant Leslie, maybe if you're dead, Ensign Rizzo, and the three unnamed security officers. May you boldly go into the next life, and thanks for your contribution to the greater good, I guess. Yeah. Rest in peace. Hell yeah. Well, Captain's Log, supplemental. That's all. Looks like it's time for us to warp away. Be well, travel safe, and as Ferengi rule of acquisition number 112 says, never have sex with the boss's sister. Oh, that's a good one. All right. All right. Thank you for trekking with the soy boys. Hang Dong and Shocker. Soy, 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 soy.